Hi, I'm Rob. I'm Richard. And you're listening to the Doctor Who Show, closing out the month of August. And yes, that is a new voice on the show. We're joined by Dave's co-host on the Blake 7 podcast and Goodies Pirate podcast, Richard. Hello, Richard. Hello. Thank you very much for having me on, Rob. <laughs> it's a first for us. Yes. I'm sort of a recurring character on a couple of other podcasts, but uh, it's, it's great to actually be on here. Yeah, yeah, no, you, you certainly pop up with Dave uh, a bit, uh, but we've we've never spoken, so this is quite a treat for me too. Mm, oh <laughs> I hope it's worth it. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, one of the big reasons we have you on the show, well, aside from Dave being, I think he's in the UK at the moment, he's finished with Italy, mm-hmm. is that the main feature tonight where it's the Podcast of Decision Part 2. Hopefully people know what the Podcast of Decision is. If not, you'll, you'll hear an explanation later in the show. And you appear on that. Yes, we did. We did that, uh, recorded that a few weeks ago. And look, I have to say that was a lot of fun. Originally, this was going to be a standalone episode, but when we had this month with Dave not around, I thought, you know what, let's just use it as like the uh, the guts of this episode. It gives you a month off too, I guess. So <laughs> it, it does, because I'll say one thing, and you notice this, I think, too, Richard, over the past week, this has been a, a quiet month for Doctor Who news. We have a little, but it's been a pretty quiet Doctor Who month. It has, and I think you're probably almost at the point people are now having to invent stuff, I think so. <laughs> Well, that's a beautiful segue into our first story there. (laughs) (laughs) Richard, let's get on to the news. I think the biggest story this month, and and fans will agree, is this whole Chibnall and Whitaker have walked out story. Ah, yes. For those who have been living under a rock, um, early in the month... There were some rumblings that, you know, there was some big news coming and the, and there was a even a date tossed around of September 28th, which, which hasn't happened yet. But it seemed very definite. September 28th is going to be some big news. And uh, I believe a Doctor Who Appreciation Society person got on Gallifrey base and said, yep, Chibnall's already gone. It's chaos in Cardiff. And uh, someone else jumped in and said, Pete McTie has come to the rescue. And it just went from there like wildfire over the internet. Yeah, it did. It was quite interesting to watch, actually, just as it sort of kept morphing. And, and yes, first Chris Chibnall had gone, and then suddenly Jodie Whittaker had gone as well. And I think it even got to the point they'd, they'd sacked all the rest of the cast too, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this uh, this really took on a life of its own. But it's not without precedent, because back in November of 2018, there were reports, even in the NME, that's that's my go-to story when I have to go back and, and look at the notes on this. Uh, the NME reported that, you know, Jodie Whittaker and Ch- Chris Chibnall would leave at the end of season two. They were saying this in November last year. And again, it seemed to have no basis. Yet at the same time, and I don't like to give credence to these things, I think, is there a smoke without fire? Well, I did wonder that, but... Um, I I think I can see maybe why people think there might be, you know, something rotten in the state of Denmark because, Mm. um, and you guys actually picked up on this last month, that there's been very little news come off the set um, about the recording of of the current series. They weren't at San Diego Comic-Con. They didn't even have a, here's a couple of short clips or something of, of, you know, a a new lot of exciting adventures. So you, you could be forgiven for thinking maybe something is, is going on in the background. I probably also tend to the opinion, uh, what is it they say? Nature abhors a vacuum, so... (laughs) Yeah, look, I think a more social media-friendly type than Chibnall might have got on social and Uh said, uh, I've heard the rumour, here I am having a pizza with Jodie and all the cast, Uh, this is ridiculous. But Chibnall does seem to be that standoffish that it sort of breeds these rumours, almost. Yes, very... um 
very very sort of old school producer really I guess you, you're sort of going back to sort of the pre JNT era mm. uh, really where you had no contact with the production team at all no no that's exactly right and it made things more interesting back in the day but in in these days and social media it seems a rumor can just take off like crazy and i mean there's a there's there's a rumor going around in star wars circles at the moment uh people have decided that because there aren't that many original characters in the new star wars films and they're killing off the old characters mm. it's because george lucas still owns the rights to these old characters <laughs> despite selling it to disney for four billion dollars so there are people out there thinking disney gave george lucas four billion dollars but now still pay him for the use of luke skywalker and han solo and things like that it's just ridiculous but it's a rumor and and it right. doesn't get debunked properly, and it just takes on a life of its own. It's crazy. So, so Billy D. Williams is back just to be bumped off. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, if he is, it'll just add to the rumor. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this isn't the Who Wars podcast no, that I used to do years ago. <laughs> Shall we move on to our next news piece, Richard? Yeah, I think we've done this one. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, now our next news story uh, involves David Tennant. Uh, who has recently come out and said that uh, if they do a 60th anniversary special, mm-hmm. he thinks it would be quite fun to take part. Of course he does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is like whenever they say to... It's the most tried question to companions at conventions. Would you go back and do more episodes? <laughs> yes, I would. <laughs> Shock, horror. Billy says she'd do more episodes. <laughs> The thing, actually, that I find probably the scariest part of that is it's only four years away. Well, that's the real news, isn't it? It's sort of a wake-up call. The alarm clock's gone off, 60th anniversary, four years away. Where, where has the time gone? I know, my goodness. <laughs> you know, it's, it seemed the 50th was such a big thing, and now we're knocking on the 60th. That is that is insane. But, you know, I, I, I think it would be a good thing to see Smith back. I think he'd do it. Um, Tennant obviously would do it. He said so don't know about Capaldi. I think Capaldi's kind of done with it. Yeah, I, I get the impression he has moved on. Um, look, maybe this is their chance to go and grab Paul McGann. Well, <laughs> they've had enough chances. It yeah. would be good to finally finally do it, yes? Yes, because uh, let's face it, you can't get John Hurt, and uh, <laughs> and I don't think Christopher Eccleston will come back, so... No, no, unfortunately. Although although Moffat might not be involved, so maybe Eccleston mm. would. I don't know. <laughs> it seemed to be a beef with Moffat that stopped him doing it the last time. Yes, I think so. Anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, Gormenghast is a series of novels by uh, Mervyn Peake. Have you ever read Gormenghast, Richard? No, I will have to say I have never read Gormenghast. Yeah, look, uh, me... Have you? me me either. No, I haven't. But uh, it's a, it's a name that I've often seen thrown around because it's a it's a popular yes. fantasy kind of series and people name check it and things. And I guess what's caught my eye is that they're going to do a series of it uh, at Showtime. Uh, Neil Gaiman's involved. That's someone I I quite like. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Kiva Goldsman's involved, but also Doctor Who writer Toby Whithouse is ah. involved. Yeah, so I thought this was notable in a month where we didn't have a lot of Doctor Who news. Um, I've sort of gone outside the bubble, and Toby Whithouse is involved here. He, of course, did uh, School Reunion, Vampires of Venice. Oh, yes. Yeah, God Complex, uh, A Town Called Mercy, the two-parter Under the Lake Before the Flood, which I think had a good start and a rotten end, and uh, The Lie of the Land, which is one of those awful three-parter episodes with the monks in Capaldi's final season. Did you like any of these, Richard? 
Uh, I remember being very excited when I saw School Reunion, but I think that was probably more because of Sarah Jane. Do you know, I listened to a podcast recently and they were saying, you know, it's a, it's a good episode, it's fun, but would we like it as much if mm. Sarah Jane wasn't in it? And I thought, oh, hell, probably not. No, I don't think so. I, I did get quite excited because I, I have to say she is, uh, she is probably my favourite of the classic companions. So yeah. um, I was very excited when she came back. Yeah. How about Vampires of Venice? I know I watched Vampires of Venice. <laughs> uh, I, I would be struggling actually to come up with anything. I, I have to say that there was a period there, and it would be around when a lot of these screens, say, be the, the sort of Matt Smith era, uh, where I know I saw some of them, but I probably only watched them once and mm. moved on. So, yeah, I was I was into the idea of that episode and seeing some of the pre-publicity photos. You know, girls dressed in white, looking very Italian, although I think they were Croatian because they filmed it in Croatia. And thinking, oh, this is going to be spooky as hell. It's like a it's like a hammer sort of thing. Amazing. And then they turned out to be fish creatures and not really vampires at all. That's and I right. Thought, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> this could have been amazing and it's not you know they had the location they had the look and then they were just fish creatures oh christ <laughs> anyway moving on to the god complex that's one i actually really liked i thought that was quite good I, i'm actually going to say i don't remember that one at all so <laughs> that's that's all right uh for any listeners who don't remember think uh being locked in that spooky hotel with all spooky stuff behind every door and a minotaur so sort of a callback to Horns of Nymon as well. Hopefully a bit better than that, but uh, yeah, right. Eh? <laughs> In the platform heels and the... <laughs> Indeed. Uh, a Town Called Mercy. Did you catch that one? Yes, this one I do remember. And I do actually remember quite enjoying that. It was okay. It wasn't a God complex for me, but it was okay. Uh, which takes us to that uh, two-parter for Capaldi, Under the Lake Before the Flood. I've sort of given my thoughts already. I liked the first part, didn't like the second part. Yes, and I have to say, I don't know that I watched this one. Uh, I remember my initial take on Peter Capaldi was I didn't particularly enjoy his first season, and I have mm. to say, I didn't really watch very much of the second uh, the second season. So I actually think, I don't think I've seen this one. Okay, I'd, I'd really commend the first episode. It's quite good. Just be aware that the second lets it down a little. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, there's a ringing endorsement. That's... <laughs> I am nothing but honest. Uh, which leaves uh, The Lie of the Land, as I said, part of that three-parter. Whithouse only did one of the parts of it. I just didn't like that three-parter at all. No, and likewise, I, I did watch these. I did watch all of Capaldi's last season, and I have to say, no, this uh, these three episodes were very much the weak point. Yeah, pro- probably some of the only letdowns in that whole season. I, I quite enjoyed it on the whole, but not that, that run. Uh, likewise, I, I didn't enjoy the Monk trilogy at all. Mm. So in the eight Whithouse, kind of a uh, a mixed bag of stories there. Possibly better than Chibnall's, though, if we look back. <laughs> Could he have been a better showrunner? Who knows? But he's off to make Gormenghast, and it might be uh, our chance to actually find out what Gormenghast is all about once they make it. Yes, and our final news story is uh, also sort of slightly outside uh, the televised series. Uh, it is that HBO Max, uh, which is one of the streaming channels, have purchased the rights to Doctor Who. I think it's only New Who, so not the classic series. Mm. But it does mean, I think, that Netflix is losing losing it. You know, that's where people have been watching it in America for the last few years. That's true. I mean, I guess it's probably part of the bigger picture. There, there is this sort of mad scramble 
uh, at the moment on the streaming services for content now that sort of Disney have laid their cards on the table um, and, and have sort of <laughs> just sort of blown everyone out of the water, really, I think, with what they've got on offer. Mm. And, of course, if you're Netflix, you've lost all the Marvel series as well. And, and I think for other providers, there is this, uh, yeah, there, there is this bit of scramble, I think, to... to you know, to keep their content and, and subscribers up. Yeah, the the streaming wars are certainly hotting up. I, I'm, I'm not profound in saying that. And I think, well, I know this is the reason I like buying physical media still because so many people poo-poo it. You go and buy a CD or a DVD these days and people treat you like your granddad and, you, 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 you know, you're the subject of ridicule. But <laughs> strangely enough, every time a show leaves a platform... And you see all these millennial types running around going nuts. How can I watch Doctor Who ever again? Ah, That's I right. just I just smile and I look at the stories on my shelf and they're going nowhere. And I think, well, Granddad might have had it right all along, eh, kids? <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> and obviously, I don't mean this for each and every show. There are shows I just watch on a streaming service, and I, I don't care whether I own it or not. But for shows, I know I'll go back to shows I want to collect. I still buy physical media, Richard. Uh, likewise. Yeah. I still have all of Doctor Who on DVD, and I'm now starting to get the Blu-rays and stuff like Blake 7 and The Goodies and all of those sort of classic shows that I know I'll go back to. Uh, I own physical copies of all of them. Mm. I, I just think it's a smart way to do it for the stuff you really care about because these, these streaming wars are just, you know, stuff's going all over the place. Um, then, then again, uh, Rob, maybe we're just old. Well, <laughs> well that is true as well. <laughs> However, I I do have that certain smugness when people are, you know, crying that they won't ever see Doctor Who again, you know, because they don't want to buy the new service it's going to. And I think, oh, God, just if if you love it that much, buy the bloody discs. It's it's not hard. No, it's not. And JB have them on sale pretty much all the time. So it's not even like you're going to pay full retail. Exactly. But anyway, we'll jump off that. That's the end of the news. On to our short topics for the month, Richard. And uh, I'm going to kick off because I found something quite interesting, and I think you've had a chance to go and look at it, which is uh, Retro Blasting. It's a YouTube channel I love. It's been going for years. Uh, Michael French over there and his partner Melinda look at great toys and things over the over the past few decades. And he's gotten into Doctor Who in the last few years. And um, one of the upshots of this is he's recently made a video on the character options Doctor Who action figures. Did you see this? I did see that. The sort of newbie's guide to collecting. Mmm. And it was really good because what Michael did is he sat down and he got Matthew Tofolo, who's quite a well-known uh, Doctor Who collector, to sort of tag team with him on this to go through all the releases of just the Doctor figures in the character options range and try and pick out the definitive Doctors. Yeah, that was uh, quite interesting. Thinking about my own collection, uh, I have some of the ones they showed there. It was quite easy for sort of Hartnell and Troughton because you're a bit limited for choice. Mm. But uh, when you get to the Pertwee figures, uh, there's, what, I think about eight different uh, versions of the Pertwee Doctor. (laughs) There's quite a few. Um, And I've got a couple of them. Unfortunately, I do have the action-posed Christopher Eccleston figure that they say (laughs) is the one you shouldn't buy. But... I think there was a Billy Piper one sort of doing an action pose as well. Yes, that's right. And that was the same. They're they're some of the very early releases. Mm. Of course, uh, we do know that Doctor Who put out a a whole bunch of action figures back in the 80s and and early 90s through uh, Daypole as well. But this video is just on the character options stuff. Well, look, 
I have to say, I did collect Daypol at the time. Sadly, uh, my Daypol figures are now all long gone. Oh. Uh, yeah, no, I, I had a... Uh, when I got out of fandom the first time, I you sort of went through the ritual clean-out, uh, and the Daypol stuff was uh, some of the stuff I got rid of, uh, and then years later I found out what it was worth. But... Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I have to say, look, I was a big collector of the character option stuff, uh, certainly in the early days of the range, I've probably dropped off uh, a bit now. Mm. But uh, I have to say, I think I find some of the later figures actually aren't that higher quality. I don't think as some of the earlier ones in the range. Yeah, something odd went on when they shifted from the big 5-inch uh, types to 3.75-inch, uh, which weren't very good. No. When when they went back to doing the big ones, it's like they got the scale slightly wrong because they don't look quite right next to the original ones. No, they don't. No, I think there's uh, been uh, a few uh, sort of cost-cutting measures. If you look at some of the paint applications and that sort of stuff, I don't think they're quite as detailed. Yeah, and in fact, on that video, I think Michael even says at one point with one of his Capaldi figures, he swapped the legs off it or something, or the lower part oh, of the legs right. so so it wouldn't be as tall and i thought oh that's very clever but you know you shouldn't be having to do that with your action figures to make them work no i mean look i, I did see uh, one sort of news item uh, just jumping back to news for a second i know character options have recently announced a few new packs uh, including a harry sullivan figure yes yes a sontaran experiment type harry mm. with uh, with an overcoat uh, that sort of camel colored overcoat yes and and two sontarans lynx and Steyer. Yeah, and look, I I am still gobsmacked that these figures exist at all. Even back in the heyday of, you know, five years ago or more when people were were buying these wholesale, um, I just couldn't believe they existed. Like, you can buy a Joe Grant action figure? What? (laughs) That that, that shouldn't be a thing, you know? No, well... It just seemed crazy. No, you're you're obviously about similar vintage to me, and I do remember in the late 70s sort of having the Star Wars figures and, and being quite... You know, disappointed that I couldn't buy Doctor Who toys. Yeah. I had one of the Dennis Fisher, Tom Baker figures, but I never had any of the others as a kid. Well, let's face it, the others were pretty crap. Mm. The, the, the Leela wasn't particularly good and the Cyberman, oh my God. That's the one with the nose, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> just just ridiculous. But the but the Tom Baker figure, that that is a dead set classic. The uh, mm. the local Doctor Who Club president when I was growing up had one of those and I was so jealous of it. You know, I think his family probably threw it out when he moved out of home years oh, later. Oh, no. Yeah. It's just one of these crazy things I look at. I mean, I own a lot of these. I have like the Demons box set where you've got like a Brigadier in there and a Bok and... I think, how do these things exist? It, it, it just must sound so stupid to some people listening to this because they've grown up with these figures and they're like, of course, <laughs> we have Doctor Who action figures. What's what's the big deal? To me, though, I, I, I'm still dumbfounded it exists. Yeah, I, I remember, look, the first representations, um, and again, I'm probably showing my age, uh, of, of a lot of the, the Doctor Who characters were, well, there was the Harlequin range of metal figures in the late 90s. But uh, before that, um, if you remember the fine art castings, I do. Range back in sort of the mid-80s. And they went through and they did a range of Cybermen and Daleks and monsters and all that sort of stuff. Uh, It's funny, and and being a bit of a miniatures geek, you you look at those now and and the casting on that is is really poor. Mm. But at the time, uh, that, that that was about the best you got. 
Oh, absolutely. And then they were in different scales. There was an 80 mil range, 40 mil range, 25 mil range. Um, I remember one issue of Doctor Who magazine, they had 80 mil figures in it and they were painted beautifully. And it really attracted me to them, but I knew I could never paint that well. So so I never got them. I, I love the look of them, but only if they were painted to like, you know, museum grade quality. Uh, <laughs> I, I had a few of them. I... And, and sadly, they're gone. I had quite a few of the, and, and we're probably going fairly deep off into the weeds now, but I had quite a few of the Games Workshop 25mm ones uh, that they mm-hmm. did around the time the role-playing game came out. Yes. Yes, and I remember sort of buying those little TARDIS boxes. And, and I did have a go at painting some of them, and yes, they, they weren't very good, and I think most of them wound up uh, sort of having a caustic soda bath to strip them back down again. <laughs> very good. Anyway, we, you, you're right, we probably are in the weeds here shall we move on to our next piece (laughs) yes certainly and that's uh, actually i think probably going to take us even further into the weeds (laughs) because the uh, short topic i had um was around the doctor who time of the daleks game now have Mm. you have you played this rob i've not played it at all i saw it when it was about to come out and i thought oh it looks kind of interesting but i've just not had time to do much lately and i've I've certainly not played it right well the reason i've pulled that out is because i do own it and i have played it quite a bit um and after oh 18 months i think uh, after the base game they finally released some expansions which means more doctors Oh, okay. So the original game, you were only playing with a, a few Doctors? Uh, yeah, so the base game only had four Doctors in it. So it was uh, William Hartnell, Tom, uh, Matt Smith, and Peter Capaldi. Mm-hmm. They've now finally, uh, after much goading and, and uh, sort of projected hate from the <laughs> fan base, uh, <laughs> released two expansions, which will let you play as Peter Davison and David Tennant uh, and Sylvester McCoy and Christopher Eccleston. And they have just today actually put up on their website that they're now taking orders for the third expansion, which is Patrick Troughton and Colin Baker. That's interesting. Okay, mm. this has piqued my interest that the second expansion's got Davo in it. <laughs> I'd, 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 I'd quite like to play as Davo. Yeah, so the, the game, uh, look, for anyone who hasn't seen it, and I, I'll try and keep this uh, as short and sort of non-geeky as possible, Um it is essentially a race game. So the idea is that the Daleks are trying to get to Gallifrey and you as the Doctor have to get there first. Mm-hmm. Now, it is uh, what would be called a cooperative or semi-cooperative game. Uh, so the Doctors really are all trying to defeat the Daleks. Um, if one of the Doctors makes it to Gallifrey first, that Doctor is, whoever's playing that Doctor, is the winner. Mm-hmm. And the way it works is it's actually a little bit like uh, Yahtzee. The, the mechanic is a dice-matching mechanic, so you have to overcome certain obstacles or dilemmas. Those are all based from adventures in the series, so Pyramids of Mars is one uh, mm-hmm. for Tom Baker. Um, you have to fight the Zabi uh, for William Hartnell. And there are certain dice symbols to overcome each obstacle and you have to match those with the dice that you roll and there are mechanics obviously to change the facing on the die mm-hmm. uh, so that you can you can defeat the challenge. That sounds like it could be quite fun. It's, it's sort of a, a beer and peanuts kind of game you can play? It is. It's not terribly involved. It takes probably about probably an hour or an hour and a half to play depending mm-hmm. on how many people you've got. Okay, and by playing as different doctors, do you have different abilities or anything like that? To a point. So you start as whichever doctor you want. There are mechanics in the game that if you fail uh, some of the challenges, you have to regenerate, which means swapping your doctor out and taking the next doctor on. Well, that's interesting if they're they're non-linear doctors. Like, does Hartnell become Baker or something? 
Uh, yes, if you're playing the base game. <laughs> That's quite interesting. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, yes. Uh, and then that's also designed to add a degree of difficulty to it. So because the companions that you have as each Doctor, if you're Tom Baker, you obviously want to pick up Sarah Jane or Romana um, who have bonuses for that particular Doctor. Right. But those bonuses don't carry forward into Peter Davison. So you would want to get rid of your companions and, and go and pick up Nyssa um, yeah. and Tegan and Adric. So. Okay, is there a a Susan in the game? There is a Susan. The reason I ask is the the way she looks at Davo in the Five Doctors. I was wondering <laughs> if there's a, a bonus there, perhaps. <laughs> Sadly, no. Oh, damn. <laughs> she she is quite taken with Davo in the y- Five Doctors. Y- yes, yes, she is. But uh, <laughs> sadly, no. Yeah, so look, it's quite a fun little game. As I said, it's not particularly involved. Look, it won't be everybody's cup of tea, and if you're expecting a really in-depth, heavy strategy game, this probably won't grab your fancy at all. But uh, I've, I've certainly had a lot of fun playing it. No, it's, it's good. I don't think we've even spoken about the game too much on this podcast, so it's just good to get it out there that there is you know, a fun sort of board game out there for people to, to try. Yeah, well, Dave, Dave is not really a gamer, so I certainly I don't think it's something going to be on his radar. So, sorry, sorry Dave, but... Uh... He can play as Hartnell, though. That's great. He'd love that. That's good. All right, then. So, uh, just rounding out the short topics for this episode, I've got to say I've gone a bit missing adventures crazy of late, Richard. Oh, okay. I've owned all the, the, the Davison missing adventures for a long time. And for, for listeners, these are the Virgin missing adventures that were published back in the 90s. Uh, and I bought all of the Colin Baker ones recently but just something over this past week I started looking at what was left and I started picking the eyeballs out of it like oh people tell me all the Gareth Roberts books are quite good so I'll get those and I've always wanted to own a copy of The Dark Path which is basically Pat Troughton and the Delgado Master. Yes, uh, I do remember that one. I've always wanted that. Um, they're, they're horribly expensive now, the, these books, but I thought, stuff really? it, I'm getting them. Yeah, oh, uh, remarkably. You, you know, even fairly generic ones are up into the 20 buck range, but um, stuff oh. like The Dark Path, you're going to be paying 50, 60, 70, 80, you know, maybe even $100, depending on the condition and, you know, Good God. how many are on the market at the time. Yeah, so anyway, I've, I've just been making inroads into all of these, and then I thought, you know what, I've made these inroads. If I buy a few more, I'll have finished the, the, the Tom Baker ones and the <laughs> Pat Troughton ones, and, you know, I don't know, oh, Hartnell, I've only got about four to collect now, so I think I'm on the verge of just getting the whole set of MAs <laughs> at this point in time, which is crazy, wow. but they're, they're, they're good, they're fun. Yeah, have you read Killing Ground? No, but that's one of the reasons I bought all the Colin Baker ones. I was looking and I thought, that's the one Dave always tells me to read and it's the one he always name checks when we talk about Cybermen. And I thought, I want to read that. I'll just buy all the Colin Baker ones as well as that one. So I I own it, I haven't read it. I will reinforce what Dave said. That is actually a really good book. I did reread that not all that long ago. Mm. Uh, And yeah, I I must admit, that, that is a really good title. Yeah, very good. Uh, I've got to say at the moment, in terms of MAs, I'm reading Goth Opera, uh, Davo story written by oh, Paul yes. Cornell. Yeah. Very f- that's the very first one. That's right. It's even got a little uh, forward from Peter Darvel Evans at the front, sort of explaining the concept of the MAs and all that. It seems so uh, cute now that, you know, there's all been all these big Finnish sort of past Doctor things going on. And of course, BBC Books did a past Doctor range as well. Yes. So we've, we're very used to the concept, but here he's having to sort of explain the concept in this forward to the book. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's lovely. So you're going to go on and read Blood Harvest? Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm going to... I think my my interest 
is probably to power through my, all or most at least of the MAs before I get through the uh, the NAs, which I own all of, but uh, have have barely made a dent in. Wow. Yeah, life goals. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I think that rounds out the short topics for this month, uh, Richard. We're going to move on to the main event now, which is the Podcast of Decision Part 2, which you obviously appear on. Can you set the scene for what people are about to hear? So the Podcast of Decision is a series of rounds where we will draw random ideas or random elements out of a hat, um, Mm -hmm. and they might be... Uh, they'll be taken from all across Doctor Who, so it might be William Hartnell, Robert Holmes, Rachel Talalay, and Revenge of the Cybermen. <laughs> really, really desperate. And the idea is, <laughs> as a group, um, you have to decide which of those, which one of those four things that you're going to save. Yes, and for people who have listened to the podcast for a little while, we did do a podcast of decision. Uh, it was Dave, myself, and the guys through Flight Through Entirety, well, most of them anyway, in a hotel room uh, <laughs> where we sort of pioneered the concept. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It's, it's kind of stressful at times. Though. If you get around where there's a lot of things that you like... And you think, well, I'll save this, and I've got to, I can, you know, maybe save that if I play my other card. But gosh, sometimes it's tricky. Yeah, there were a couple of rounds in there, I think, where uh, we were sweating a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we shall see as we now step back in time, not that long ago, I guess, to uh, to Dave's place. Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who Show podcast of Decision 2. I'm Dave. I'm Mark. I'm Rob. I'm Richard. And as you can hear, we have been joined by our friends of the podcast and the hosts of 42 to Doomsday and, of course, my co-host on Spacefall, a Blake 7 podcast, and my co-host from the Goodies Pirate podcast. It's a great podcast family reunion here and uh, hopefully you enjoy it. So, how are you all? Good. Thanks for having us on. Long time in the planning. Yeah, great to be back. Yes, very much so. Good, good. Gee, we'll what have... he said. <laughs> very stilted. <laughs> so, as I said, this is a, another iteration of our podcast of decision format. For those of you who didn't hear our episode earlier in the year with our guests from the Flight Through Entirety podcast, this is basically a format that I've put together just to allow us all to talk about Doctor Who in a nice and fun way. So, we have two segments today, and we'll get now to segment one, which I call the first segment. (laughs) So imaginative. (laughs) The conceit for this one is that the time-space visualiser is now out of memory, so we need to purge a whole lot of Doctor Who-ness out of its memory. So, we're going to go around, we've got eight rounds, we're going to have four random topics for each, and we are allowed to keep one, and the other three are deleted from Doctor Who's memory. So we can only save one. And we also have each got here a veto card. So if something is about to be expelled and destroyed and forgotten, we can save it if we really, really want to. All good? Excellent. Well, Mark, why don't you kick us off and tell us our first four topics, of which only one can be saved. Okay, so the first one out of the hat is Time Lash. Okay, yep. And the second one I'm going to pull out is Phil Morris. That wasn't the real Phil Morris, by the way. Resurrection of the Daleks. Paul Cornell. Well, that's a pretty easy one, actually. <laughs> <laughs> he actually purged us, didn't he? Robbie blocked us on uh, Twitter, so... Uh, yes. 
Well, Time Watch has got Paul Darrow in it, so we can move that one on the maybe save pile. Uh, yes, I agree with that. And, and... It is the inspiration for my uh, novella, <laughs> Trevor's and Wells. Available right. for more tax dodging. Uh, hey, uh, <laughs> tech, uh, the early years. Yes. <laughs> so Time Lash is a maybe? Maybe. Yeah. Time oh, like, actually, I like Time Lash. It's a bit of fun, isn't it? Same sort of vein as, uh, vein as uh, Horns of Nymon. Uh, Mr. Cornell. Um, he did write some books I'm very fond of. He's Indeed. Given, he's given more to Doctor Who than he's taken from it, surely. He also wrote No Future. Uh, but he blocked us on Twitter, and I can't, I can't, I can't <laughs> forgive that. So, okay, so I think we should purge Paul Cornell. Oh, what's next? Well, we'll put that in the maybe well, get rid of file. That's fine. So, what's next? Okay, Phil Modis. Now, this is uh, contentious, isn't it? Really, because uh, well, why is it contentious? Well, he has done some good, hasn't he? Let's. He, he found uh, if, you, if you define some good as being enemy and web coming back. Yes, but well, also he has, he has returned more episodes than any other individual effort. I just heard someone's head explode in England. <laughs> <laughs> if I can get my hands on him. He's also brought back that scaffold film. With comedy the, thing? Comedy thing with the, uh, the skip with the chocolate eclairs. That could definitely be purged. I, I, I think you could argue for all his um, procrastination and mysterious thinking on, on musings on missing episodes. I, I think he's more in the we'll keep him than throw him. Camp. I think he's got to yeah. be an early favourite at this stage. Well, yeah. Yeah. Of those so. four, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 And, and, and Phil, you know, he keeps telling us there's uh, potentially more. You know, the wind's blowing in the right direction. So well, I was going to say, that's, that's giving the thing. some sort of hope. So we, we're talking before or after we've emptied his lockup. So, oh, well, well, after we've emptied it, he's definitely going to purge file. <laughs> we've got what we wanted. You're His, usefulness. His usefulness will have come to an end. Exactly. All right, we'll keep... We'll, we'll put... Phil there for the moment as well, right, but so, we'll leave him so, in his lockup in Wigan for the moment. So, so he and time lasher on the maybe key. Yes, file. Yep. Uh, resurrection of the Daleks. Uh, um, I'd probably consider purging that. I don't necessarily I, think that's a great story. I don't think it's a particularly it's good story. Not necessarily either. essential, is it? No, no. no I, I enjoy it. Yeah, but I can live without. I can. De- I think in season twenty-one there are much better stories. I would mm-hmm. save yeah. ahead of this. When you compare it against the other story in this particular pick, the heavyweight that is Time Lash. Hmm. You know? <laughs> Having said that, it is a story that writes Tegan out, so it gets plus one for me for that. Oh. So. <laughs> there are better Davison stories. There are. Better yes, there are. Yeah. So, yes, but there Resurrection, we would say out. Well, yes, we're going to purge the TV version because the book is about to come out. So well, I'm happy. True, to, I'm happy book, to read the book. The book might be better. The book is supposed to be better, allegedly. So um, I'm happy to purge. All right. That so, Resurrection Daleks yep. with Mr. Cornell's efforts. So it really now comes down to Time Lash versus Phil, Phil Morris. Morris. The promise of Phil is greater than, for me, Time Lash. Yeah, look, I like Time Lash, but there's other great places to see Paul Darrow. Yes, awesome. there are. There are. There are other. Yes, there are other avenues to enjoy Mr. Darrow's work. The authentic yeah. Mr. Darrow's work. So. Yes. yes. Yeah. I mean, in sense of that, uh, I suppose uh, having a beer and watching a Doctor Who. I mean, Horns and I'm on. And Time Lasher on par, but I would rather keep Horns of Nylon because it's a bit more ridiculousness, as it were. Ridiculousness. Yeah, so, so uh, I think vote in? I think we'll have to keep Phil Modest. No one wants to exercise a veto? Not for Time No, Lash. not for Time Lasher. <laughs> I think, as you said, the tantalising the tantalizing hope of something else from yeah. Phil. And it is only uh, tantalising, Phil, so pull your finger out. I mean, if I want top-level Paul Darrow, I'll go watch Orbit. Yeah. Yes, yes. indeed. Yes, exactly right. So you know you are safe with me. So is it Phil Morris, then? I, it's, yeah. I'm happy to go it's with Phil, uh, Phil against all expectations. There you go. Right. So exactly. Our first one saved is Phil, is Phil Morris. First save. Right. Beauty. Fantastic. Me. Oh, your turn. Drum roll. The first one. Dalek, the Christopher Eccleston episode. Mm. 
The first yeah. 15 minutes of that are quite good. The rest of it, less so. Number two. Ooh. All Ice Warriors stories. <laughs> oh, <laughs> all of them? Jeez. Oh, uh, yeah, all right. oh, but that includes Empress of Mars, so... Uh, That's okay. Yeah. And uh, Cold War. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Third. I like it's Death Through Time. Oh, Holy of Holies. Oh! <laughs> the horror of Fang Rock. I can well, see, I can see a veto card coming out. And he's, he's stealing ours as well now, isn't he? <laughs> well, we know how Rob's going to vote, don't we? Yeah, that's what I said. I can see a veto card coming out. Ooh. The only master. <laughs> All right. Right, so um, I know what I'm going with. So yes. Horror stays. Yes, likewise. <laughs> for me? For me, for me. Uh, no, and look, I, I would join you in that. If no. I had to pick one of those, it would probably Dave, be Horror Dave, any thoughts on Horror or Fang Rock? Look, Horror is definitely in contention. It's a very right. good story. Love it. But right. I don't think it's head and shoulders the only possible choice in that list. So mm. what would be your choice? Well, I've got a lot of affection for Dalek. It is the episode that kept me going with Doctor Who. True, yes. I, I was yes. I was very close to sort of not dismissing new series Doctor Who, but I was at the sort of look, this is a very good show. I don't think it's quite for me. Then Dalek came along and it's actually no, this is for me, I'm gonna stick with it and here we are. And it is also the moment Eccleston I think really arrived in the role as well. Yeah, yes. so I think there's a lot to commend that. Yep. The Ice Warrior stories, there's a couple of really good ones in there. Mm. Name me a couple of good ones. Well Curse of Peladon, I think. Seeds of good. Death. Seeds of Death is very good. They're probably the that, two. That, that's about it, really, isn't it? Really, um, yeah. Monster of Peladon is terrible. The Ice Warriors yeah. is boring. Um, Empress of Mars is okay. Mm. Yeah. Cold War is a really good first half of a two-parter. We don't get the second half of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On balance, can I live without Curse of Peladon and the Seeds of Death? Compared to Horror of Fang Rock. Compared to Horror of Fang Rock. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think we can probably knock that one out. All right. So the Ice Warrior story is gone. Mark? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I said Seeds of Death is good, but don't I don't think... Don't forget Mission of Magnus. As I, as I said before, <laughs> the Seeds of Death is good. Um, yeah, Mission of Magnus definitely can... I mean, why big finish? I know, well, I know why they did it. But, uh, yeah. But the Ainley Master. Now, hmm. Now, this is the problem. There are a lot of Ainley Master stories I would very happily be rid of. Yeah. Um, Time Flight, Mark of the Rani, King's Demons. However, in there, there is... Legopolis. Legopolis. Survival. Yeah. Planet of Fire. Castrovalva. Castrovalva. Castro- yeah, actually, it wasn't bad in Castrovalva. Yeah. That's a really hard one. I know that the Horror Fane Rock is a rock, literally, rock solid story. Ailey, oh, that's a really tough one. Where are you sitting, Richard? Well, I, I would be with Rob. I would be leaning towards Horror Fane Rock, <laughs> but out of, out, of that, uh, out of that selection. Fond and all as I am of Dalek. And look, I agree, the Ainley Master had some good stories, but. He is entertaining in a way. Like, he's, he's entertaining as this four-part gem. As you're holding right in front of my face and sort of subliminally telling me to vote for it. <laughs> I'm going to say I'm leaning towards Dalek. No. Ooh. I like Dalek. Like you, it is probably it is the best of that first batch of stories. I tend to think it, its reputation lies in the first 15 minutes mm. and then whatever comes after it is... Pants. Less... Uh, less so mm. so I mean I, I think horror is a better story absolutely so I, I mean I'll go with horror personally but uh, and I'm happy to ditch Dalek all the Ice Warriors stories and the Ainley Master I'm happy to ditch Dalek and the Ice Warriors I'm torn between Mr. Ainley and Horror Fang Rock what did Horror Horror ever, do, ever do for you mate? well he was my master he was my master when I was growing up and watching the series so 
I mean, you got four episodes there of Horror Fang Rock, as opposed to, I mean, the 20 or 30 episodes that he was in. And as we said before, some stories are great, some are bad. You know, some are not particularly good. But, however, he did make them entertaining, either in a good way or in a fairly camp way. So, would, you I know. was about to say, I was sort of going to make a joke about sort of the Brian Croucher version of... Um... <laughs> I mean, there is an argument... Delgado, but... There is an argument that Ainley is the most entertaining thing in Time Flight. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in Mark of the Rani. Absolutely. Even though they're not good stories. No, that's right. Ultimate Foe is probably the best thing in that. Yeah, that's mm. right. So it's... Yeah, he does go with your gut. Don't, just because, you know... I'm going to go with the Ainley Master. I'm sorry, I'm getting death stares from you, Rob, and the, the shaking, right. the... So, all right, so I suppose have. we're agreed that the Ice Warrior stories are gone. Yeah, yeah. they're gone. They're, they're so, gone. Pamela yeah, Nash is anyone going to stick... You, you've gone for Dalek? I've gone for Dalek. Oh, geez. Right. Jesus. Yep. Well, I was going to say, Rob and I have both gone for Horror Fang Rock, so are we doing this on a consent, on a on a majority basis, or how are we doing this? I guess we probably have to. I think, yeah, democracy. It's overrated, but it's democracy. Oh! <laughs> so horror wins? Horror, win- horror wins. Horror, horror wins. wins. Horror wins. Sorry, the an- only master. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's now gone. Oh, there's our second save. Even Big Finish didn't get him back. It's all right. He'll, he'll be back in a sequel. So you, <laughs> so you escape from the Doctor Who show. <laughs> My turn. Earthshock. Oh, excellent. <laughs> You're with the voices that I am. I am, actually, yeah. He is a legion. <laughs> well, this is a straight into the bin. Face the raven. Yes. So I'm showing <laughs> No, that's straight into the yeah, Fire right. up the furnace. <laughs> Where's Pamela Nash? <laughs> Get those tapes in. Rosa. Oh, yeah. Oh. Mm. And for the last one. This may be the easiest one. So I think so. Oh, no. What? Doctor Who podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Again, a very easy choice. Let's let's do the easy one first. Well, I, I think, are we all agreed face the raven? Bin. Is anyone going to speak up? For- I, oh. I would defend it in that I actually cared about Clara's death by the end of it, so I did a good job in actually making me care. That well, because was- you thought she actually died yes <laughs> given that that was reversed two episodes later what a surprise um, that kind of yeah knocks it out so yeah. could have been could have been but spoiled by the other so yeah look of, of that group I think Face the Raven is, is the weak link yeah Rosa Rosa's a very good story I think it's mawkish and overly sentimental yeah and um, emotionally stunted yeah. yeah I'm not a big fan I don't like it no I'm happy to Not to say that the subject material isn't worthy of dramatisation. Absolutely. I, I just the, think it's... The way it was done, it wasn't, I didn't, I didn't like it. Look, no. let, let, let's maybe just cut to the chase here. In another group, Rosa, even Face the Raven, would be in contention. Clearly. But Earthshock's in this group. Yes. And I really like Earthshock. I'm going to go for Earthshock. Well, that's the thing. Compared to the other two... Correct. Earthshock is more excellent. So we're left with Doctor Who podcast. Easy bin. No, <laughs> oh, I, th- I think it's an easy choice. Doctor Who podcasts is just another iteration of Doctor Who fans talking at each other and ignoring everyone else. <laughs> but Earthshock is a stone cold classic in my book. Mm. My book as well. So yeah. I'm going with Earthshock. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Th- those 80s Sidemen watching that story, I remember just just the fear that were invoked in me. Just the yep. brilliant and the yeah. performances, performances great. Yeah, yep. the, the the final tragic conclusion. Yeah. Patrick's not that which bad. Which they don't reverse two episodes later either. So. Yeah. No, exactly. He stayed dead until he was uh, brought back to the finish. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the argument I made at yeah. the time. 
Face the Raven could be in the same league as Earthshock. Yeah. Mm. The, the one that killed a companion and was a massively dramatic episode, but yeah. it's kind of forgotten now because it mm. didn't. Exactly. This going around in a diner. Ridiculous. So we've just spent five minutes reaching the obvious conclusion. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There we go. There we go. A thousand Patreon accounts are now closed. And it's round to me. Yeah. Yep. Day of the Doctor. Oh, mm. easy. <laughs> Amy and Rory. Easy. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> Unit. Which, Ooh, which incarnation? <laughs> yes, true. Dudley Simpson. Oh. oh, well, Deadly Dudley. For me, it's probably a toss-up between Unit and Dudley Simpson. Yeah, Deadly. I agree. Uh, Rob, look, I've got a gradual fondness for Day of the Doctor, but being a uh, classic series fan, it has to be. No, actually, no. I don't actually. I don't have a dog in the fight with regards to whether Dudley Simpson is a good composer or not. I, I just watch episodes, and if the music's good, it's good. If it's bad, it's bad. I would say, for me, Unit and or well, Unit or Day of the Doctor. No, I'm, I'm putting Dudley Simpson in, in as well. Okay. Do we want to say anything about Amy and Rory? They should be burnt earlier. Oh, Rory's good. Rory's, Rory's fine, but... Yeah, Rory's yeah. good, but he's never the, the, the focus of Moffat's conflict. And, you know, and again, he kept dying and coming, coming back, back as well, so it yeah, just dissipated that. And uh, I still can't work out, was he, how long was he in Auton for? I don't... No, yeah. I'm, I'm lost on that as well. Yeah, okay. I'm bit, yeah. Day of the Doctor, I think uh, I called this uh, the number one overrated Doctor Who story ever. I still Holy think... Ooh. Yeah, but you've got you to gotta remove... You've got to remove from the sentimentality, which is what I have problems removing from the Five Doctors as well. So the Five Doctors, is it a good story? It's a good story. But my fondness for it is probably overrated because of watching it at the time as a child. But do you, do you concede that somebody who's 30 years younger than you mm. will feel about Day of the Doctor as you feel about the Five Doctors? Absolutely. The problem that I've got Day of the Doctor, which is not going to surprise many people, is the inclusion of the War Doctor. Unnecessary. And... Yes. I'm not needed. And I, d- and I thought John Hurt dialed it in. He just phoned it mm. in, that performance. He just came across as a slightly grumpier Peter Cushing. It didn't have that... It just didn't have Jeez, that... That's damning, isn't it? Well, it is. <laughs> Look, once again, there are other rounds where I think I would have fought for Day of the Doctor, but yeah. I'm not going to fight for Day of the Doctor over Unit or Dudley Simpson. Mm. And if this is a democracy, I can see Day of the Doctor can go on the bin. I'm not... So Unit or Dudley Simpson? Uh, now, uh, well... So what? Okay, so if you look at a, a Pertwee, Tom Baker story featuring Dudley Simpson's music, the one that gets singled out the most, which is the one I remember the most, is the City of Death music. That is sensational. Mm-hmm. What other music cues from Dudley Simpson's story? I mean, you could say the Masters theme. The as Masters well, theme would be one. But what? Up. Yeah, if you look at and he's done, he did a lot of stories. Name us a couple of other music cues and, and themes that you really enjoy. Uh, the Sunmakers would be up there. Yeah. Uh, He's got some memorable stuff in Nightmare of Eden. Mm. Like Seven needs a mention. Oh, the thing well, I was about Black to say, we're allowed to talk about we... outside. Yeah, I think, uh, I think this is Doctor Who, though, isn't it? Mm. Uh, I think he's got a rather large body of work, so... Mm. And, yeah, and then you look at Unit. I'm always, with Unit, I always think of, you know, the Brigadier Mike Yates and, and that crowd as opposed to the recent interlopers that have no real, uh, I don't know, didn't Soul? make any... Just, it was just... The McDonald characters, really, aren't mm. they? It's just basically Grimace and Hamburglar. But if, if we're talking about the classic era unit, do you have fond memories of that than, say, Dudley Simpson's I mean, music? Yes, absolutely. I mean, without without um, without having those characters in there, those stories wouldn't be the same, really. Yeah. The without, unit family. The unit family. And I mean, the setting and The setting that. and everything like that. It, 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 that just encapsulates the Pertwee era for me, where really 
I mean, Dudley Simpson's contribution was fantastic, but you know, you could have had Jeffrey Bergen doing a lot of the work, or other composers doing a lot of the work, and you would have get, I suppose, a similar tone. But not taking away City of Death is a fantastic score, but I'm afraid for me, Unit would have to win out. Where are you guys? I'll go with Unit. If we're talking in a Doctor Who context, I'll probably go with Unit as well. Hmm. I think if we were talking sort of uh, broader universe, I, I would probably go with Dudley Simpson. But I think in the Doctor Who context, probably Unit. Well, Unit has clearly won through. However, oh. I'm, playing, I'm playing the veto and I'm saving Dudley Simpson. Wow. I was going to say, you've got the most bonus. You know what's in the bowl. So you, know, <laughs> you know what's still the Some of these out, are so. quite incendiary, aren't they, really? I reckon he's, he hasn't, uh, you know, <laughs> read these almost. All right, so we've got five saves yeah. at the moment. Oh. Yeah. No. Back to you. Okay. School reunion. Okay. Mm. Interesting. Virgin New Adventures. I know which one you're going for, Ooh. Dave. <laughs> and Unearthly Child. Ooh. Iconic. Yes. Nightmare of Eden. Oh dear. Oh, yeah, I know which I'm going. Well, I know which one I'm going for. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have the conversation. Is first. this the toughest round yet? This yeah, one? It, no, is, it is for me. Oh, okay. okay. All right. Well, my immediate inclination would probably be an unearthly child, followed by probably School Reunion and the New Adventures. If I was going to consign one out of that, it would probably be Nightmare of Eden. Look, Nightmare of Eden is a fun story to watch. Yes. It's not a good story. No. Not essential. No. No, essential. and Tom really is really right off the chain by that point. So, <laughs> so let, let's, should we just slide Nightmare of Eden away? Are we, are we happy to... Anyone yeah. want to stick out for Nightmare of Eden? No. Hold on. <laughs> oh, okay. Hold on. I like Nightmare of Eden. As you said, it's Tom. What's wrong with you? It, it's, well, the, the, the actual topic, yeah, if you think about the Drug topic, un, unfortunately, it's, it's sort of masked underneath the comedy antics of Tom and Co. But I believe there is a, a story there, and it's a, probably a better story than. Now, when we're talking An Unearthly Child, the pilot, that's what we all agree that episode one is fantastic. It's episodes well, two and four yep. aren't. Ah, but ah. Are, we, are we just talking? Are we well, talking about the whole story, or are we talking mm, about the individual episode? Exactly. He's called another exactly. Child? So, if you think about it, it's called the Tribe of Gum, isn't it? Two and four is Tribe of Gum, isn't well, that what it's called? No, well, I think the, the Unearthly Child. I think is the umbrella title for four episodes. But oh. if you want to be a pedant, you How can say work? that Unearthly can Child we, can we is, dance is on this or not? We, we can do whatever we like. We're Doctor Who fans, of course we're pedants. Okay. <laughs> so my argument about The Unearthly Child, mm. apart from the fact that the Target novel and the VHS and the DVD are clearly all four, mm. is that Unearthly Child is the how the band got together story mm-hmm. and the band doesn't get together until the end of The Cave of Skulls. Mm. Yes. True. I'm arguing for the Virgin New Adventures because I like reading, but also there's a really cohesive, mostly well-written body of work there that is clearly influential on what we have today. And yes, it would be sad to see An Unearthly Child burn, but we've at least got the audio version of it somewhere. 
I'm mm. kind of with you, Rob. Look, I really like Unearthly Child. I like all four parts. I think that the, the way the characters grow together over the four is really good and interesting. I like School Reunion, which we haven't spoken about. I think... I, mean, I remember when we first watched that, we were all sort of you know, really... But without Lee Slade in that story... Yeah, I was say, is that the Sarah Jane effect? But that is just the Sarah Jane if, you remember, if she wasn't in that story, that would be... You'd bin that. You'd bin that, 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 that over yes. Nightmare yeah. of Eden. So whilst I enjoy both of those, mm. The Virgin New Adventures is 62 stories, some of which are phenomenally good, mm. and which you can go back to, and, and did keep the show alive for... Well, Neil, it was very important for a number of us. See, I never read them. I only read the first ten, and I stopped. So I would be happy to bin those. Why do you hate I never... books for me? I don't. I love books when they're well read and well written. They probably weren't the rebirth of the series for me. I read no. a number of them, but I can't honestly say I was really captivated. And this is Sylvester McCoy, just in and, a different form. Exactly, and and those were and those are really niche. They, I mean, there was a very niche print run that didn't make many, many copies of those. But obviously, the, the influence of those has permeated to, to some of the new series. All that but said, I'd be I'd be quite happy to bin the new ventures. All that apart said, from Exodus, I don't think the rest for me. I mean, I only read ten of them anyway. All that said, without this and Unearthly Child, mm-hmm. none of this exists. Mm-hmm. None of this exists. This is as foundational a text as you are likely to find in television. If you throw this away, everything else goes out the window. Yeah, but we're, we're using um, Marvel Endgame rules here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> to Thanos. To, 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 to a point, you could also make the point if they made the Masters of Luxor instead of the Dalek Second. That, None you know, of us would have met each other? Yes, exactly, exactly right. <laughs> okay, so we've got three left. I think we need to, in the interest well, of is time... Is anyone really going to want to save School Reunion? No. No. Apart from Liz Sladen. No, no, I was going to say, it's, I, I was really happy when Liz Sladen yeah, came back. Yeah, but the, the but story itself is very... If you look at a story, I would prefer to keep Nightmare of Eden and Story mm. in it, but I know we've only got two to save. So... I'm, uh, I'm voting for the new adventures. Well, I'm voting for An Earthly Child. As am I. Then my vote's... Oh, here we go. Do you have the right, Rob? You've just given us a... Just remember, you've got three pairs of eyes looking at you now. you card, Rob. Do I have the right? <laughs> I can uh, see the turmoil. Do you want to go for a break? No. <laughs> just, just seeing the anguish on your on your face, Rob, is worth it's hard. It. It's really hard. Um, oh. Virgin New Adventures. All right. So we've got a tie. We've got a tie. Well, is somebody willing to give up a veto card to save one and we vote through the other? Yep, I'll save an earthly child. All right. What? Yeah. Yes. Well, there you yep. go, man. Max right. played his Joker. <laughs> so we're saving You're calling it Joker. And, and the new adventures. Very good. Blizzle is playing the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> so we're voting through the new adventures, but we are using Mark's veto to save. Yeah, that's yep. right. Uh, right. You, can't, you can't bet on an earthly child again. All right. It's we're all happy. Burnt. All right. We're all happy with that. Yep. Oh. All right. It's me. The Web Planet. Burn. The Web Planet. <laughs> Jeez, I haven't even put it down and we're torching it. <laughs> Again. Series 10, New Who. Is that Capaldi's last? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, geez, there's that cancer in the middle of it that runs for three episodes. <laughs> Sorry, I'll say that again. There's that cancer in the middle of it that runs for three episodes. The middling monks. Oh, Jesus. The End of Time. Oh! <laughs> You are rude. This is... I haven't oh. found one I really want to say. <laughs> <laughs> this could be the quickest round if I pull something half <laughs> right. out. All right. The one there that says... Season 5. 
So oh. class, of Classic Who. Classic Who. Oh, it's right. easy then. <laughs> All right, so uh, <laughs> who wants to keep Series 10 of the new series? Look, I think it is one of the two best series of the new series. I think it's Capaldi's best season. I, I think you can make this fairly easy. I think Web Planet and End of Time can go in the bin straight away. Is that well, pretty much... Want to talk well, about, no, let's talk on. this out. Let's, let's talk this out. No, I think I'm pretty comfortable with it. You are. You are. <laughs> the journey is as important as the destination, Mark. Thanks, Jada. Right, okay. I will. We can. I think we can agree that the Web Planet is an interesting experiment. With yes. different but six vision. episodes too long. With different. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have a closing and opening title <laughs> No, and next week the Space Museum. <laughs> but you know, there is a lot to commend the web. Yes, there yes. is. Yes. But if I could never watch it again, would my life be less satisfying? Probably. I think we'd all move on emotionally very yeah. quickly yeah. from it. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're Planet God. Yeah. Yeah. With with you know with no malice with though. with no. reservations. The end of time parts one and two. Happy uh, to gone, see that damn gone, thing burn. Gone with prejudice. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> appalling. If this piece of paper could speak, it would say, "I don't want to go." <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually going to cinemas, isn't it? They're showing it for. Um, Are they? Really? Yeah, and they're putting it in the cinema for yeah. well, ten years. Of that, yeah, yeah. Have they no shame? I don't want to go to the cinema. But, jokes aside, it, it was a mess. It oh, was yeah. appalling. It was, a, yeah. it was, it was really absolutely, you know, he deserved... Are they cutting it together for in a movie format? I don't know. I think it needs to be cut it together into a single episode mm, of, say, five minutes. Ser- series 10 of the new series. Now, oh. as some of you were saying, there are some good episodes in this. Absolutely. There are. Yeah. Look, particularly, uh, we particularly lauded the, the two-parter at the end. Oh, that was yeah. very good, yeah. Uh, well, Enough yeah. in Time and The Doctor Falls. Yes. Yeah, yes. that would have been the best generation stories in the uh, well enough in time yeah. yeah yeah. that was really those two were really good but then we do have the three months stories the, the trilogy in the middle which yeah. I, I couldn't abide I could not abide no obviously I didn't get a lot out just, of them either but just middling and, punks and it's against Tim of the Cybermen Web Fear Fury from the Deep Enemy of the World Enemy of the World Abominable Snowmen Snowmen Real in Space Ice, ice Warriors yeah. and, and the Ice Warriors <laughs> yes. I'd be happy to burn the Ice Warriors but I mean we're on Space I mean Season well, 5 Well Troughton did Yeah well obviously <laughs> yeah, uh, I go with Season 5 yeah. not simply because of nostalgia but I think it's a better collection of stories Yeah yeah. I, look I think there are a couple of really good stories in Season 10 I, I did think it was the best new series season since the first one mm. which I still think is the best but I love Season 5 Yeah 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 yeah. Yep, brilliant. And we're all big fans of Capaldi here, so yeah, it's a bit of a yeah. That, yeah. That's a shame. It's a shame. All righty, so, Mr. Capaldi. Back oh. to me. First on, one. Go on, Richard. Robert Holmes. Oh. oh. Death to the Daleks. Oh no. <laughs> oh. Childhood dreams. I love, I love that. I love Death to the Daleks. This is fun. The Mind Robber. Oh. Dave looks like he's in pain. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the anguish. I can't stand the confusion in my mind. DWB. Oh no! Oh, God. <laughs> if we thought we did that, that's our podcast gone. Oh, <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> um, I can oh. make a good case for saving all of those. I can you... make a good case for saying saving two of them. Give us your veto now, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's talk it out. All right. Okay. All right. Well, Dave, you go. Well, let's let's start with Death to the Daleks, which is, I think is a very underrated, very fun. Doctor, it is fun, Doctor Sarah Daleks. It is fan, it is fun. Alien World, yeah. There's a lot of good stuff in Death yeah. to the Daleks, and as a kid, that was by far one of my favourites. Yeah, like that 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 was a tape that was pulled out 
many, many times. Yeah, Day of the Daleks is a bit heavier going, you know, and 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 it's a, it's the ideal length. It is like the Revenge of the Cybermen, fun to watch. It's a bit of a no brainer. Yep. You just get home, have a bad day at work, you get home, and you want to just watch a bit of fun Doctor Who. It's either that or, yep. or Revenge for me. The Mind Robber is Trouton at his best. It's imaginative. It's innovative. It's got some really lovely set pieces. We can watch it's it. Got some, we can watch <laughs> we it. We can watch yeah. it. It's, it. It's got all that wonderful literature stuff in there. You know, the yeah. use of Gulliver, that sort of yeah. thing. And it's also got that wonderful first part. Mm. So mm. they're really good. Robert Holmes wrote some of the best stories of the show. You can't, yeah. And DWB defined fandom for, for the best part of 10 years. And yes. still does. <laughs> I... Am less attached to the two stories in this, Deaths of the Daleks and the Mine Robber. Mm. I, I don't deny their positive attributes, but if we're talking about a collective of four, those two will be out for you. Robert Holmes is clearly what is it? The gaffer? Is that what they say? The gaffer. <laughs> the gaffer. The gaffer. Uh, and DWB, yeah, definitely it defined certain <laughs> aspects of fandom for a long time. And I don't mind it. Look, you know, it, it was controversial for controversy's sake, definitely. But it, it, it's always a, it's a fan, it's a fascinating relic of a period in time of, of, of fandom, and yep. I, I couldn't give it up. So I'm struggling between those two, and I may have to exercise a veto. I think you should yeah, exercise a veto. Well, I was going to say we've just, got just, vetoes just, left. I think. Does anyone yeah. have anything else to say? Um, um, I'll be honest and say I was never a big DWB reader, so that one doesn't really resonate with me that much. I I do remember reading them, but I'm never an avid reader. The Mind Robber I am quite fond of because it was the first Trout I ever saw. Mm. So... Um, and we could watch it <laughs> back when uh, for viewers in Australia Troughton consisted of two stories that and the Crotons yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right uh, until the tapes came out I quite liked Death of the Daleks as a kid I can't honestly say it's a story I've ever really kept coming back to yeah look I, 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 my vote would probably be for Robert Holmes and I mean look we've actually just we've just recorded the commentary for a Black 7 episode that he wrote where we called him probably the greatest writer classic who ever had so yeah, and, one and of so. And, and that's the reason why look I've yeah. Very, very reluctantly, because I do love the other three, I have to vote for Robert Holmes. Yep. <sighs> this is really tough. Look, it is definitely Holmes, but I'm imploring somebody to use a veto to right. save DWB, because without DWB, look, I know there are some really good articles in there, and, and let's be honest, it's but given us... paid for, so... <laughs> yes, exactly. And it's given us some of our best podcasting episodes in terms of download That's figures, and people still like it. And to make the serious point, yeah. at a time where the Doctor Who production office had really discovered fandom and was actively seeking to control fandom mm. and, and quite successfully in some ways was controlling fandom and mm. what Doctor Who magazine particularly would publish and frankly the line in terms of what information the official club or the not the official but, but DWAS yeah. would have there was a relationship between the production office and DWM and DWAS that limited the, what they could really say and in that DWB was an alternate voice. Sometimes they use their powers for a, a bit of nastiness and you know, definitely went beyond the bail. Yeah. But but that sort of alternate independent voice free from the control of the production team yeah. is something I think is very important to her. So, uh, look, Rob, you're waving your veto card and if you're willing to use it on DWB, yeah. I think saving it with Robert Holmes is good, but I'm going to miss those two stories. If you if you look at the coverage of Colin Baker leaving the program, you know, DWM is very, oh, Colin's leaving and he's moving on to a new project, as opposed to the real truth coming out of DWB. That Your argument there exactly, you've got the production office trying to c- control the message as opposed to DWB giving the uh, 
that the unfiltered truth. So and I, yeah, I'll make one very obscure point in relation to DWB. It was my first exposure to an artist named Phil Bevan. Oh yes, who did that famous cover with um, the Doctor standing around the body of uh, the Sixth Doctor. Phil Bevan oh, yes, uh, died right. about fifteen years ago, and his artwork is is fantastic. Yeah. It features in some some of the you know premier fanzines of the day. I think uh, Scaro, uh, Space Bats. And InVision, mm. um, there's a lot of covers of the letter InVision. So even for nothing else, uh, I would, I would, you know, save DWB. But I'm going to exercise my veto anyway. Yes, thank yep. goodness. So both of those can go through. And can I just make an additional point now that they say, but just to remember that DWB did evolve into Dreamwatch magazine. Yes. And when I was a teenager in the '90s, they did a lot of coverage of the Trek series that were coming out, particularly DS9, Buffy, uh, Roswell, uh, Babylon Five, mm. and they also had regular articles about Who Blake Seven. All those yeah. sort of things. So, uh, what what DWB became as well was very valuable in its new form. So, mm-hmm. yep, I'm think very happy that we are right. saving Robert Holmes and DWB. No, I farewell, Vito left. So I only hope what's in there we get into a bit of an argument over. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've still got one left. So, all right, the last round: Rachel Tellerlo, Battlefield. Yeah. Tegan. Yeah. Frontier in space. Can I use my veto to bring Death of the Daleks back? <laughs> <laughs> you should have saved it. Hey? You should have saved it earlier. Well, I probably should have done because there's nothing there I'm actually going to leap in with a veto for. I'm sorry. So. <laughs> Where to begin? Uh, well, Frontier in Space is a classic Pertwee story. It's, it's what Doctor Who does well. It's got message and meaning it's a great space battle it's got Daleks it's got Delgado it's got the Draconians it's got the Ogrons it's got Joe Grant there's a lot to love in front of you in space there's two episodes too long plus the the last 30 seconds is bad in terms of that whole cutting editing that really mars it for me I don't think Mm. they could even fix that with CGI these days Uh, let's come back to Frontier in Space Rachel Talalay um, she she's a good director. She's well regarded, but she's been you know, but she was partly responsible for Twice Upon a Time. So um, I can never forgive that. <laughs> um, Are you saying it's like the um, the German officers invoking the Nuremberg defence? Is that? <laughs> I don't think there's any defence for uh, Twice Upon a Time. Is there? Really? She's certainly got um, a good body of work outside Doctor Who. But no, um, look, I mean, we she's, we're not, she's we're a not good really director visually. But I mean, you know, the, the story she's been given, you know, like uh, is she the best director of the new series? I still think Nick Curran's the best director. Than I was series. going to have Joe Hearn as the other contender. Mm, yeah, true. I think Nick Curran was really good. But top th- top three new series director? Mm. Top five. Okay. Top five maybe, but yeah, the the work that she's been given, uh, the scripts haven't been particularly good. I mean, she she also worked on Death in Heaven. But you got to well you enough know, time. Doctor Falls. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. But, you know, she's only really working with the rubbish she's been given. And, and from a visual point of view... <laughs> Tell us and, what you think, Mark. And a visual point of view, though, like, she has it's got yeah. a great, you know, some right. really good, de- de- you know, visual sense. visual sense, yeah. And she's got the pace and everything like that, but, um, yeah. I mean, she's a rare example in the new series where you can watch that and go, that's a Rachel Talley episode. Yes. And it's better for it. Yeah. You would yes. agree with that, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Battlefield. I like Battlefield. It's not a classic, but I think it's... A, I remember watching the first time I saw Battlefield, and it actually would have been at uh, Doctor Who Club of Victoria. Oh, was that the oh, season twenty six? Oh, oh, was that that meeting? Was yeah. that the season twenty six? It was at the, oh, the Christmas party. Oh, was it really? Yeah, it was oh, the Christmas party. Okay. Showed that. And, you're welcome. Uh, showed that in Curse of Fenric. Yes, you're stories. very welcome. With the two stories. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> I, I remember.
remember watching that and being actually really enjoying it when I first saw it and the moment where you think, oh my God, have they actually killed the Brigadier? Yes. I do remember that. There would have been 50, 60 fans in that room yeah. and you could have heard a pin drop. Yeah, I do remember that. Again, it's probably not a story that I've really come back to a lot over the years. Um, if you sort of watch anything in that season, I always go towards either Fenric or Survival, I think. Likewise. As, um, that, that's probably the last choice and Ghostlight as well. No, okay, it's better than Ghostlight. Uh, yeah. The only thing I really remember about Battlefield is borrowing the tape from a then-friend and having it snap in the video player. That necessitated an awkward conversation. But, um, <laughs> and a purchase on eBay of a replacement, not a replacement local copy, but a required UK copy. Anyway, he's a, a, a former friend, so... <laughs> Hello, if you're listening. So, can, can we say that, look, regardless of the good aspects of Battlefield, it's not going to beat the other two? No. We haven't talked about Tegan yet, have we? Haven't we? About... No, I'm, I'm just saying the yeah, other yeah, two. Yeah. We, we can move that to the side, though. Yeah, yeah move that to the side. Oh, I think yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. consign All right, and Tegan? A little bit of a, a bit of Australia in Doctor Who. I, I'll be honest and say, Tegan never really worked for me as a companion, so I don't know. It was It's probably part of my whole Davison era experience that, yeah, right. I, I don't know. No, she never really worked for me. So As a kid, she definitely didn't work for me. I think when you're when you're a young boy, particularly, and you want to be the companion and go on adventures with the Doctor, somebody who's desperate to get off the ship just isn't someone that you relate to. Mm. I will say, though, that like Davison himself, as I've got older and watched the series again, I've really come to appreciate what Janet Fielding is doing. Mm. I definitely agree with our friend of the podcast, Todd Bilby's view, that it's only after she gets drunk in Black Orchid that she actually relaxes and becomes a, a good character. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I do respect what Janet Fielding does and in the later part. I mean, season 21, she's really good. And I think she works a lot better bouncing off Mark Strickson than she does off Sarah Sutton and Matthew Waterhouse. Yeah, yes. that's, yeah, that, that's yeah. probably fair. And you got to remember the material that were given you know, early on. I mean, I was watching Forward to Day, and that's really clunky in terms of dialogue. Uh, it's definitely been written by a man. I mean, think, think of what Janet Fielding does in Frontios. Mm. And, and you think about Resurrection of the Daleks, the plot thread that she has is a really horrible, tragic yeah. plot thread, and she really milks that for all the drama it's worth. Yeah. She can act. She can act, yeah. yeah. I mean, she's one of the key components of the Davison era. When you think of Davos era, you think of Cricket costume, Tegan Javanka, and Adric exploding. And Anthony Alley every second story. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, look, I, I wouldn't vote for Tegan in this particular group. I think there's a, at least one stronger candidate. But her impact is undeniable. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I'm not going to vote for her, but I do respect her import. And I'm not using my veto on her, so... Uh, <laughs> I, will, I will vote for Tegan because she's a very big part of my childhood watching Doctor Who, and uh, I'd like to vote for Tegan. Well, I'm voting for Frontier in Space. Okay. Battlefield is gone, so there's Rachel. Ta-la-la-la. So, Richard, you're not very enamoured with this final round. Where are you going to put your vote? Can you look a bit more happier, please? <laughs> it would probably be a toss-up between Frontier and Space and Rachel Talalay. Well, since I've still got a veto, maybe if we vote one of those two through and I'll use my veto on the other, but that way we get to burn Tegan. So, yeah, I'm happy with that. <laughs> Torch the Aussie! <laughs> <laughs> so we're saying that uh, Tegan, as distinct... Can we say from Janet Fielding? Yes. Oh, I don't have a problem with Janet Fielding. Yeah, all right. I, I, as I said, as I said, Tegan never worked for me as a companion, so... Yeah. All right. Fair enough. So are we going to vote through Rachel and veto... Frontier and Space for me vote Yeah, me as well yeah. Frontier. Right, Frontier, Frontier's being voted through and I'll, and I'll use my veto Since I've still got it I'll use my veto to bring Russell Talalay through 
Fun. Fantastic. All right, so <laughs> just to sum up the first segment, the items that we thought were worth preserving in Doctor Who history, Philip Morris. The night. The horror of Fang Rock. Yes. Earthshock. Excellent. Unit. Dudley Simpson. An Unearthly Child. The Virgin New Adventures. Season 5 of Classic Who. Robert Holmes. Dreamwatch Bulletin, or Doctor Who Bulletin as it first was. <laughs> Frontier in Space and Rachel Talloway. So that's the end of segment one. We'll now get into the second half of the podcast, which is what I imaginatively call the second segment. The other segment. The other segment. And this is our top three segment. So... Purely just a conversation here. We'll again go around. We've got six topics. They ask for us to decide what our top three of something is. Uh-huh. And we'll just have a chat about that. And also, I guess, look as we're going at or where we have picks in common or where we're very different or whatever the case may be. So, right. Mark, you've got the bowl of decision in front of you. What a magnificent bowl it so is. So give us our first topic. Oh, top three target novels. Wow. Holy wow. moly. Okay. Uh, Fortunately, we have this magnificent case full of books to refer to. Well, exactly. There'd have to be at least, probably, I reckon, two Malcolm Holt ones, isn't there? Well, The Cave Monsters go straight into my number one. Yep. Invasion of the Dinosaurs, I'm very tempted to put yes, straight into yeah, yeah, my yeah. That was one I immediately leapt to as well. If I went off the top of my head without thinking, mm. Cave Monsters, Invasion of the Dinosaurs, Remembrance of the Daleks. If I did a similar exercise, mine's Fear from the Deep, Dinosaur Invasion, and also. The Five Doctors. Oh, okay. Okay. Because I read that uh, fairly close to transmission. and yeah. you, You're the exact target demographic for that at exactly the right moment. Literally target, yeah. <laughs> I would pick probably a Malcolm Hulk, a Terrence Dix, and maybe one of the later ones where they actually got the original authors to come back and novelise their yeah. story. So on that basis, for Malcolm Hulk, I think it would be a toss-up between, yeah, probably, probably Doctor Who and the Cave Monsters and... Um, the Dinosaur Invasion. Mm-hmm. I think for the later ones, that would be a toss-up between Fury and probably Remembrance of the Daleks. Yep, so yep. I'll have to make a choice there. And for Terrence Dix, I think it would probably be a choice of something like The Abominable Snowman and something like Pyramids of Mars. They're both good. If I was picking a Terrence, I'd have Ambassadors of Death yeah. and The Will and Space in the mix. Yep. Yeah, you probably should actually go with the Pertwee. Terrence, but uh, yeah, I'll stick with those. So they, they would be mine. I'll, I'll narrow them down to one of each in a minute. What do you do, Rob? Well, I would go with Remembrance of the Daleks. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of what uh, we remember about Remembrance, the TV story, actually comes from the book itself. That's very true. I mm-hmm. think I think it's a, a really, really smart expansion of the story. Um, mm-hmm. And you, you can do that, obviously, in a 150, 160 pages. Yep. I, I really like the Daleks. I remember in my first year of high school uh, going to a much larger library at school and I just had all the target novelizations. I remember pulling this out, borrowing it and reading, finishing it off actually in my last class of one particular day. Um, it's really good. And the third one, I like uh, Dalek Invasion of Earth. Yes, that is, that's a very good Terence. I like that yeah. very much. I spotted that in a news agency yep. in Ararat when I was living there and I didn't have the cash to buy it, but I eventually got it. I'd really enjoy that. I think yeah. it's pretty good. Um, Time Warrior is another good one. I mean, even allowing for the prelude to be written by Robert Holmes, I actually think Time Warrior is quite a good novel too. And, and Frederick's another one that I would have to throw out there. Mm. Mm. 
So now we've got to start narrowing them down. <laughs> I'm sticking with what I've said, Cave Monsters, Dinosaur Invasion and Remembrance. But noting that Dark Invasion of Earth, very, very close. Um, Fenric, very, very close. Yeah, the Sea Devils, another really oh, yeah. good Malcolm. I mean, I mean, I could put the Sea Devils in there and have three Malcolm Hawks. Mm. Yeah. Yep. But I think I'm going to go with my gut instinct, which is those three. Mm. I, I, even though Daleks is atypical of what came after, uh, I still really enjoy it. Of, the, of those three, I think it's probably the, of those three, I think it's probably the best one for me. So, what, what's your final three, Richard? So, I'll go with one that's going to be quite similar to yours. I'll go with Dinosaur Invasion for mm-hmm. Malcolm Hulk. I'm going to go with Remembrance, probably for the later mm-hmm. novel, I think. And for my Terence, I'd actually forgotten about Dalek Invasion of Earth. And I'm going to go with... No, look, I'll stick with Pyramids of Mars, actually, for Terence. That is a good one. Mm. And what were your three, Mark? Uh, mine was Fury from the Deep, The Dinosaur Invasion, and, also, and The Five Doctors. Oh, and think... I'm happy to stick with those, although Remembrance is bubbling under the surface. There you go. So I think Dinosaur Invasion is probably uh, one, one that's made the final cut, I, <laughs> I think, think so, but... yeah. It is yeah. a good book. Yeah, yeah. There's some uh, very good choices there and some good overlaps. It's a real yeah. pity Malcolm Hulk died. In 1980. Mm. Mm. I mean, he could have contributed so much more if his body hadn't given up, so... All right, on to our next topic. Top three, Doctor Who Monsters. Ah. Oh. Oh, yeah. yeah. oh, <laughs> right. well, um, Clearly a... <laughs> a divisive topic. topic. <laughs> Clearly a divisive topic. Uh, all right, well, I'm going to go with uh, Cybermen. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with... Even though they're imperfectly realised... Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and and that doesn't count the new series ones. Yeah, non canon. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've probably got to go with the Daleks because, look, they are the quintessential Doctor Who monster. Even if I don't think they're always brilliantly done. And the third one, I'm actually going to go a little bit left field. If I could pick a villain, I would probably go with Sutek. But I'm actually going to pick the mummies from Pyramids of Mars because. I, I know I've mentioned Pyramids of Mars already, but it was the story that probably really turned me from a casual viewer into a fan when I saw it in the late 70s. So I have a real soft spot for, for Pyramids. So, Look, I'm going to put the Daleks in. I think yep. they are a very good villain. And look, some of my favourite stories are Dalek stories. Yep. And in fact, all the 60s Dalek stories I love. Frankly, all the 70s Dalek stories I love. <laughs> uh, most of the 80s Dalek stories I love. And even some of the... In, in New Who, some of my favourite stories are Dalek stories. So... Okay. No, I, I think the Daleks are really good and deserve to be number one. I'm going to put the Wirren at number two. Because mm. even yeah. though they aren't that well realised, they're a really interesting and cool concept. And I, I think there's actually a lot about the Wirren, and they terrified me as a child. Yep. That is actually my first Who memory, actually, is, is watching the end of part one of the <laughs> of Ark in Space and the Wirren falling out of the cupboard. So ah. there you go. Number three, my first instinct was to go with the Silurians. But... How much of that is just the Silurians, the story? Because they're not that great in... No, they're, they're very obviously people in rubber suits, but... They're not that great in the new series. No. That said, though, what's probably going to get plus me... Plus, it also means you have to include Madame Vastra, so... <laughs> but, but what I think is going to get me over the line and keep the Silurians in the top three is actually the Virgin books. So Blood Heat and... Yeah, okay, yep. Okay. Uh, Scales of Injustice. Yep. which are both really good books where the Solderians are really well written. Mm-hmm. So I think on the basis of that, I'll keep them in. So Daleks, Wirren, and Solderians for me. Okay. Marcus? Right. I'm going to go with a bit of a different slant on this. So top three monsters that I can remember you know, vividly making an a yep. impact on me. So definitely the Cybermen, uh, especially the Earthshock ones, as I mentioned before. 
Number two, actually, I thought the Hemovores and Curse of Fenric okay. were fantastic, you know, especially them coming out of the ocean. I think it was episode two or three, mm-hmm. one of those. Really, I remember watching it at the time going, oh, my God, this is actually really, mm. really impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though it's sort of a bit of a rip-off, really, on the Sea Devils, but in just terms of that realisation, that really made an impact on me. But and, I can remember being a fan at yeah. the time, and yeah. the Hemovores were sort of like... This is the big monster of the McCoy. Yeah, that's this, right. This yeah, yeah. and they're very good. And the Ergon from Arkham Infinity. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, keeps uh, Scarly. Yeah, the guy. No, Scarly only from uh, City of Death. Him taking that mask off, you yeah. know, face off, and just seeing that green mass of spaghetti on his head just freaked me out as a child. So, uh, yeah, they're not necessarily the top three throughout the program, but the ones that top three resonated with me yep. as a as a viewer. Well, Daleks, because I'm a closet fascist. Um, uh, the Cybermen, I mean, look, these first two obviously are the most obvious ones you can think of, but the idea of the Cybermen is great simply because, you know, your, your individuality has been hived off. You, you lose all that. You become a, a, effectively a slave. They're like Cybermen are just locusts leaping through the galaxy, consuming everything in front of them. Uh, and I'll go for one that's slightly off... To the side, I'll go for the robots of robot uh, the robots. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, because the, the, the design work yeah. on that is they're, they're beautiful to look at. Yeah, in a sense, yeah. but their shoes are a bit funny. But um, <laughs> they're, they're sort of in, well, they are. They're implacable. Yeah. They can't be reasoned with once they're turned, and it, it's that juxtaposition of they're being beautifully designed and also crushing your windpipe. Art Deco robots, fantastic, brilliant. Yeah. So those three. Mm. So we've all been able to reach our own top three. There's some differences there. Mm. None of us have mentioned anything from the new series. What new series? Is that <laughs> thanks, Mark? Is that because we weren't kids in the time yeah, of the new series? I, I think so. Yeah. Well, an honourable or runner-up fourth for me would have been the Angels. And I was about to say the Angels are surely yeah, the big yeah, one. Yeah, but yes. they've been diluted every time they appeared. I yes. mean, that, that for that shock. The, the blink is fantastic in terms of the realisation of them and just that shock mm. impact. But as they kept coming through every three weeks or whatever it was, <laughs> that impact got less and less and they go, oh, here we go, just touch and you go. But yeah, I suppose in terms of immediate hit, yeah, that would have been one, definitely. And I, I guess, you know, if we were the age watching the new series we were when we watched the classic, stuff like the Jadoon would be in there, that's very popular and mm. a number of others. But I think it goes to show just how important the... Age, you see these things. I like think so. Yeah, absolutely. Really yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right. Next topic, Richard. Okay. Take one from the bowl of decision. The bowl of decision. Oh, that's great. The bowl of Rassilon. <laughs> You're playing the game of Rassilon <laughs> with bowls. Top three Doctor Who script editors. Ah. Oh. Uh, now, this obviously includes showrunners for uh, the yes. series. Yeah, stuff. Yes. Yeah, we'll count showrunners okay. as script editors for this. Yes. All right. I've probably actually got through and looked too fairly quickly. So my choice would probably be David Whitaker, mm-hmm. Robert Holmes, mm-hmm. yep, and I'm actually going to go with Terence Dix for my third one. Mm. And I'm, I'm actually pretty happy with those, so I'll pass that on. That's very easy to, to, to choose. Yep. I would like to try and get Andrew Cartmel in there because I think he does a lot of good with the series. I would like to try and get Russell T Davies in there because I think he writes a pretty good and enjoyable year and he did bring the show back. But who do I knock out of Whitaker, Holmes, and Dix? Yep. And I don't think I can. That list is pretty lock solid for me as well. What you just said, like I mean, all those guys bring in. Can you can you maybe argue perhaps? And I hate to do it. Maybe some of the Terence Dix is, is Barry Letts' influence as well. So you could. Where, whereas, did, did whereas I think maybe for Andrew Cartmel, given J and T was really hands off by that point, you are really getting. 
Andrew Cartmel's vision for the series probably by the Lana McCoy stuff. Whereas you maybe can argue with Terence Dix, you're probably getting a fair bit of Barry Letts's uh, input in there as well. I think it also depends on how you assess and rate a script editor. Mm. If you're rating them purely on their technical ability, I think Terence's ability to take scripts, put together a team of writers and turn it out is very, very good. As opposed to Robert Holmes' approach where it just doesn't work, I'll write it myself. Exactly. (laughs) As, As opposed to somebody like Douglas Adams who is, in the technical aspects of script editing... Self-confessed woeful. Yes, mm. but what he could bring creatively as a writer was really, really good. Yeah, yeah. Look, maybe I would swap Terence Dix out for Cartmel. Mm. I mean, look, you can argue obviously with David Whittaker, you're getting some of Verity Lambert's, of course, input, and and indeed for you know Robert Holmes, you're getting he worked quite closely with Philip Hinchcliffe. But I, I think probably more. I, I've always had the impression Terence Dix and Barry Letts were really sort of joined at the hip. Yeah, um, more perhaps than some of the others. All right, look, in that case, I'm going to go Whitaker, Holmes, and Carmel. But doing so in the knowledge that you've already picked Terence Dix and he's yep. getting recognition. And, and as I say, RTD, I think it's hard to sort of pick him because he was a showrunner as well, but mm. he definitely should be part of that conversation. I'd like to bring somebody else into the mix. Oh! Christopher H. Bidney. Ooh. If he'd had more than one season... Yeah, yeah. But I, I think, think he would definitely be up That there. season has made... That I mean that season was a template, I suppose, for the '80s. Who for the first four or five years, at least, he is responsible for Megloss saying, "Yeah, but it's not that Megloss is not that bad." Is he though? I mean, is Megloss very much the you get your feet under the desk? You need to give us seven stories in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, nothing in the and, cupboard, and, and here's the one in the cupboard. Yeah, yeah that's fair. Cupboard. That is fair. Yeah, nothing in the cupboard. Pulling that together, and also doing those little mini arcs in there as well. Which never be mm. apart from the, the, the key to time, you had the small little mini arc. Actually, it was two mini arcs, eSpace, mm. and then you had the master one mm-hmm. going through. So, um, yeah, I think his influence for the early 80s can't be discounted. So, if he's in year three, mm. which other two are you keeping as well? I'm going to keep in Holmes and Mr. Dix, but with Russell T bubbling under as well. Okay. Mm. Nobody's mentioning Eric? No, no one's mentioning Eric, no. <laughs> for, for a full conversation on Eric, I referred you to 42 to do this case. We need to discuss Eric podcast. Yes, exactly. Yes, uh, it's look, still available. It was your, your Christmas special two years ago? I think it was. Thereabouts, yeah. I can't remember, honestly. Yeah. Anyway, there's no denying that Cartmel does the heavy lifting of the last two years or two and a half years of the series. So he does get points for that, and there are some fine stories. It's a real pity, actually, that... Unlike every other script editor, he never actually penned a story himself? No. That's that's right, isn't it? He, he wrote some new adventures, but he never no. wrote a Doctor yeah. Who televised no. story, no. Robert Holmes, clearly. No one from the new series. Terence Dix. I, uh, David Whittaker's uh, influence is undeniable, and he wrote some beautiful stories. It's hard. Holmes. Oh, God. Holmes, Dix... Whitaker gets enough love. I think Cartmel. I think Cartmel. Okay. I think we've all mentioned, I think, the obvious contenders. And some maybe not so obvious. Yeah. Hmm. We're down to me, so I'll pick oh. out fourth topic. Ooh. Top three new Who stories. Oh, alright well I, I could very easily say my favourite is Human Nature yep so that, that's going in the list yep 
the empty child the doctor dances would probably be the, that's where that's where my gut instinct is telling me to go we're counting two parties as one story yeah i think yeah. so after that would it be world enough in time the doctor falls Satan Pit Impossible Planet would be up there. Mm. But I think for sheer impact, I've got to, got to go. I'm going to go with my gut. So, Human Nature two parter, The Empty Child two parter, and World Enough and Time two parter. That's strong. That's uh, a strong that is list. strong. I'm nice to not have at least two of those. So Yeah, me too. I'll probably pick Human Nature. If I want to put a Capaldi in there, it would be World Enough and Time. Mm. I, I'd actually also like to mention Blink. Yep. Uh, whether, whether it be my top three, I'm not sure. I, I really like to mention Blink. And indeed, The Doctor Dances and The Empty Child. I thought that was really good. No, I'm actually going to go with Blink for my third. Okay. So we've got two in common. Yep. All right. So my three, after much consideration, I'm going to go with World Enough and Time and The Doctor Falls. Even though they squibbed at the end. The Doctor yeah. should have regenerated at the end of that particular Absolutely. story. I'm going to go for a, uh, a tearjerker of an episode. I'm going to go with Vincent and The Doctor. That last yes. last sequence is yep. I, I, I'm just I'm left in a puddle. On yeah, the floor. Look, that is by far my favourite Matt Smith story. And I'm going to go for one that I think is overlooked a little bit, but for me on first viewing, I was just going what 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 in great tenant style Utopia. Ooh, Ooh okay. Not let's kill Hitler. Is that right. not, let's, <laughs> not let's kill Hitler? No, because I was going what 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 when that was on. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and in answer to your asked question, Mark, it's yeah. not simply because of the, Der- the Derek Jacobi reveal at the mm. end. Yeah. I think the lead up to that story is paced very, very well. It's very And good. there's, yeah, there's certain events that happen that are really, really like. But I mean, yeah, it, yeah. If, if Jacobi hadn't been the master at the end, no, it doesn't appear. But that doesn't matter. It's part of the story and the impact mm. is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Utopia, Utopia as well does do that RTD thing, which is something that Chris Boucher can do as well, or Holmes can do as well, which is he can create a world and society and characters really quickly, really conservatively, and you just know what this this, this new, bizarre science fiction world is. I, I agree, it's a very good story. All, all the ones you guys have mentioned would be high on my list. Mark, what's your top three New Who stories? It might surprise you to know that, really, with New Who, I sort of watch it once and it sort of never really go back to it unless we were searching for a podcast or something like that. But the stories that really sort of hit home with me and the ones that even though I haven't gone and watched back yet, I keep thinking I have to watch that at some point. It's definitely the last uh, two Capaldi uh, episodes from Series 10. World Enough of Time and The Doctor Falls. Yes. Mm -hmm. That really just hit it home for me. And as you said, you know, that would have been the perfect finish for Capaldi's Doctor. Um, The Doctor's Fall would have been perfect. Uh, Human Nature is definitely up there as well. I thought it was a fantastic adaption of the the book. Uh, The third one, yeah, Vincent the Doctor again made that, uh, I suppose, emotional resonance with me. But it's really hard to pick, a, a, I suppose, a third definitive option. I'd have to go Vincent and the Doctor only because I really can't think of anything others others that really sort of leapt out and stayed in my memory, as it were, mm. or the ones I really want to go back and watch in a hurry. I mean, a lot of New Who, I think, to me, is like cannon fodder. It's just there. It's disposable. It's, dispo- it's like, you know, eating McDonald's, isn't it? Different answers in there and some ones in contention, but again, a lot of overlap in that one. Yep. Mm. We're down to our last two topics, so Ooh, okay. Mark, Thank pull you. out one from the bowl of decision. Oh, this old chestnut. Top three missing stories you'd like to see returned. Well, Mark, why don't you kick us off? Evil of the Daleks. Fury from the Deep. And the Mythmakers, please. If anybody in Wigan is listening to this. So, 
My first place I go, and this won't be my final three, is mm. the Dalek trilogy. Master Plan, Power, Evil. Mm. And look, if those three came back, that would be pretty phenomenally good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of those, Master Plan's probably the one I'd, I'd really want to have in there. Marco Polo is a story I really love. It's, for me, actually a top ten Doctor Who story. And I think it would look even better. So that would be in there. The third one, Fury from the Deep's really tempting. I think that's a good call, Mark. You know, do you do you put evil back in there? I don't know. Um, the Mythmakers, though, actually is one that I was leading to as well because mm. it is a very clever story, and I think the visuals on that would add a huge amount to it. Agree, because things like the Massacre and Marco Polo are really very good, almost radio adaptions. I'm happy with the audio. Yeah. I don't need the visuals to really lift it I, up. I actually but... don't want to see the BBC phone exactly. machine being the, <laughs> being, being the weed creature. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So uh, some things should maybe left be left unsaid, as it were, but so, yeah. But that said, I'd, I'd also be picking three Hartnells there. Mm. Look, I'll say Master Plan and Marco Polo, and uh, I'll come back for my third. I need to think a bit more. What about you guys? I'll pick one from each of Hartnell and Trout, and then I'll go with the captain's pick maybe for the third one. From a Hartnell, I'm going to pick... I know you guys have mentioned Myth Makers, and that is quite high on my list, as indeed is The Massacre. I'm actually going to go for something a bit left field and go for The Smugglers, just because I can. <laughs> you hear the silence? No, well, I have actually, because I, I can say my, my mum actually was a big fan of Who in the 60s, um, and she saw all three of those. She actually thought the Mythmakers were probably the best of the three of them. Oh, really? The, the Massacre is very much, it's people in a room talking to each other. Yeah. It, it's it's very good talking to each other, but it is people in a room talking, talking to, to each, each other. other. Yeah. yeah. She actually thought the Smugglers was pretty good too when she saw it. But So I'm going to go for the Smugglers for my Hartnell. Um, for the Troughton, I'm going to go for... I'm actually going to go for the Abominable Snowman. Ooh. Would be my Troughton. Because yep. I actually quite like the Eddie, so and I think I, I remember that was a novel I really liked when I was a kid. So and I, I would really like to see the Abominable Snowman. And for my captain's pick, I'm actually going to go for Power of the Daleks. Purely simply because I, I I would really like to see part one. Yep, that's fair enough. This is hard. This is hard because I've lived and breathed missing episodes for 20, 20 odd years. I don't love missing episodes. I love the idea of missing episodes to the extent that I regaled a friend in the middle of the night um, whilst I'm on an extended drive about missing episodes to my eternal shame. Anyway, so it's hard. It's hard. I'm going to go with one from left field that is probably you know a mystery to you know ninety five percent of the people listening to this. The Savages. I think the Savages oh, yeah, would yeah. be interesting to be yeah. able to see. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'd be interesting to see how they handle you know. Mm-hmm. Hartnell handles the story and all that. Power of the Daleks, A, because I think it is a, a cracking story. Like you, Richard, I'd love to see the first episode. Mm-hmm. Having found, you know, 30 seconds of clips, I'd like to be able to see more than that. And see my... how they slot into the broader narrative. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And for my third one, uh, even though there are some real gems out there of Troughton, maybe... Now, I know what you said about the massacre being you know, men in a room sitting around talking to each other. I don't know. I think the Mythmakers. Mm, I think the yeah. Mythmakers really would be rewarded with the visuals. I'd be able, love to be able to see that. For, yeah. for a story that was forgotten for a long time, that's got a lot of mention in this conversation. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, I started by saying Master Plan and Marco Polo, and I'd come back for a, a, a third, which I'd said should be a Troughton. I toyed for a bit there with the Highlanders, because mm. I think that would actually be a very interesting early Troughton mm. performance yep. to see, plus first Fraser Hines. But I'm actually going to cheat a little bit and say the remaining four episodes of Wheel in Space. Mm. So I actually think that would add a lot to the story's reputation. Episode one particularly. Episode yeah. one particularly. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, 
Dalek's master plan, Marco Polo, Wheel in Space for me. There you go. Mm. There you go. Nobody said Web of Fear Part 3. We all assume it's uh, existing somewhere. No one said Celestial Toymaker either, but I mean, that's... <laughs> There's reasons for that. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, though, nobody did say Tenth Planet 4. No. No. Well, I suppose you got the, the animation, and I actually think that's probably fairly close to... There's a lot the of story's not great anyway. I mean, apart from the regeneration at the end, mm. which we've got that visual uh, there anyway. I, I actually think Tenth Planet is quite good. I actually think Part 4 is probably the weak one. Mm. Really, I think the, the setup of the Tenth Planet is actually really quite good. Yeah, I, I really like Tenth Planet, mm. but yeah, last one, last one, top three unit stories. Oh, considering we burned the new series version of Unit, I'm <laughs> guessing fine that with that. So <laughs> you're not, not going to get um, Planet of the Dead, so you can have Malcolm. I'm fine with that. <laughs> I mean, I could go down the really easy path here and just say Spearhead Silurians Ambassadors or, or, or maybe swap Ambassadors out for Inferno, but basically pick that'd three be pretty close. To, that'd actually be pretty close to my list, to be honest. What else would be on the list, though? Mind of Evil? Mind of Evil would be. Yeah. Invasion of the Dinosaurs would be. You talk, talk about unit impact and how they worked in the story in terms of what they're actually doing. I mean, you've got the, also you've got the battles and the unit were actually an effective military organisation in Mind of Evil. Despite what yes, they were. No, they were. I would certainly have at least one season seven story in there. Yeah, I'm actually going to go with Inferno because I guess they also get to do the Mirror Universe version as well. Yes, mm-hmm. I'd probably also go with. It is very tempting just to say Solarians as well. <laughs> I think you'd probably have to go maybe with the Demons, perhaps because I think the the Unit family certainly is very much in evidence in the Demons. And for the final one, I'm actually going to go with the Green Death. Good choices. Yep, so that's Inferno, the Demons, and the Green Death. I'm going to put the Invasion in my list. Oh, yes. Because it's oh, a yes. very good story, yes. the first one. Yep. I'm going to put the Solarians in the next list, because, look, it is my favourite story. I say mm. that on a regular basis, but Unit again is really good in there. Mm-hmm. And, and Paul Darrow plays the Unit Captain. Yes, yes, so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the next one is really, really tough. I am very tempted to put Invasion of the Dinosaurs in there, but... Is it the best unit story? Or just a really good story in which unit really features? Good story. Yeah. Um, the Demons was another one that was on my list. The Green Death is another one that was on my list. I'm actually very tempted to put Battlefield in there because I think that there's actually a really interesting use of unit in that story. It actually feels like a proper international mm. organisation. You've got people from different European countries in there that actually have a bit more equipment and tech in there. Uh, look, al- although Brigadier Bambera is about 30 years too young to credibly be a Brigadier in the, in the, in the, um, in the, in the Defence Forces, that portrayal is really cool. Mm. And, and, and I remember being really popular. So, I, in fact, I might even do that, given you've picked some of the other ones, Richard. So, Invasion, Silurians, Battlefield. Mm. I might choose a couple of different ones, actually, if I may. So, I think Ambassadors of Death... They feature very strongly in that, mm-hmm. and I also think about uh, the mil- you know they are a, mi- a military organisation in terms of the fighting and, and the stunts are all pretty cool in that. It is very good. It's very very good. Uh, I'm going to go for a really bonkers choice here and go you know they talk about the unit family and in terms of them having fun with each other. I'd also would say the time monster, even though the story itself is absolutely bat crazy, <laughs> but in terms of that unit interaction, I think it's it's basically sixties Batman meets Doctor Who. Uh, and also with that scene where my, you know the TARDIS gets uh, just, you know destroyed at the end of episode three, I think it is, and the Brigadier is really worried. He's going, Mike, Mike, obviously yep. very concerned yep. for this for his you know a his uh, you know, direct report, but also for his uh, friendship as well. So and it's I got think, Benton in a nappy. 
we can't get any better than that. Let's be honest with you. And that third one. So it's either going to be Day of the Daleks or Inferno, but I think I will plumb for Inferno. Day of the Daleks is a very good story, but Unit's not in the middle two parts. No, they're not actually. It comes in better. Mind of Evil, maybe? Mind of Evil is probably a stronger story for them to be in. Terror of the Autons? Yeah. There are lots of good stories, aren't there? There are lots of good stories. But if you talk, I think if you, you've got to remove the story out of the equation to the, how effective they are within that story. Kind of little spiders. Again, how effective they are in that story. <laughs> robot? Yeah. yeah. I like Robot. Yeah, robot. But it's not a top it's, no. it's not. Or indeed no. Terror of the Zygons. Ooh. 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 See, it's funny how we forget about that. Seeds of Doom. Seeds of Doom. But yeah. Seeds of of Doom is a classic unit, though. No, that's right. That's classic BT team unit. It's the BT. The night shift. (laughs) (laughs) The reserves. How good Seeds of... If they had Courtney in it. If Seeds of Doom had the Brigadier in it, it, that would be... And Benton in it. It would have been, like, top shelf. Yeah, absolutely. Which one one would have gone through the mincer? Benton. (laughs) So, so all of us. All right. My three? Yes. This, this is extremely easy. The Centauran Stratagem, Stolen Earth and Day of the Doc... No, that's... I'm <laughs> <laughs> Look, again, mine are from the classic era. So, I'll go with Invasion, because I really like that story, and the general in there, front and centre. Yep. Mind of Evil, I think, because they're all sort of on display, you know, they're doing the escort mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing. Uh, and I'm, I'm agonising over Terror or Inferno. I, I think Inferno's a better story... Yeah, and as you said before, the mirror universe or the alternate universe uh, mm-hmm. Earth is a, is a good uh, backdrop to that as well. So those three. So uh, Inferno, Invasion, and Mind of Evil. Plus with Inferno, you get to tell the eye patch story. <laughs> I've never heard it. <laughs> <laughs> Some good choices there. So there are six topics. What we're going to do now, though, is have a very quick conversation off mic and pick one of those six to come up with a definitive group Top three. So we'll just start play some thinking music whilst we do that. And we're back from the break, and the consensus was we're going to do a definitive group top three. In fact, let's make, let's make it top five since it's the group. Yep. What's our top five? And we have picked target novels. All right. I think the dinosaur invasion has to be in there, so I think we all yeah that, didn't we? Yeah. At least three of us picked that. So yes. um, I think most of us, well, at least two of us went for Remembrance. Yeah, I was yeah, for Remembrance. Yeah. So that's, that's three. Yeah. So there you go. So there's our, there's our first two. So Dinosaur Invasion and Remembrance of the da- uh, Remembrance yep. of the Daleks. Fear from the Deep, anyone? I would certainly have that high on the list. I think if we're going to put a Terrence Dix one on, I'm going to go with Rob and say Invasion of Dark Invasion of Earth. I concur. Yeah, I can live with that. Yep. Yep. So that's yep. That's three. So Dinosaur Invasion, Remembrance of the Daleks, and Dalek Invasion of Earth are our top three. So what's our yeah. fourth? Well, what were other people's picks? You had Pyramids, Richard. I did. I had the Cave Monsters. Yep. I had Fury and Five Doctors in there. See, Fury, Fury I can get behind. Yeah. I can get behind Fury as well, even though it wasn't one of my picks. Yeah, I'm going to be on Fury. So we're happy to make Fury number four? Yep. yep. What would you rather have? Fury or Wheel in Space? Fury. Fury. Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather have a hardback of Wheel in Space and then sell it on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Dinosaur Invasion, Remembrance of the Daleks, Dalek Invasion of Earth, and Fury, Fury from, from the Deep. Yep. 
Yeah, one, one I didn't mention in my top three, actually, just looking at the collection on your shelf, one I used to really, really enjoy reading as a kid was Tomb of the Cybermen. I also have fond memories of the Ice Warriors. Yeah. You know, something we haven't brought up that I think could be a contender is the John Peel Dalek books, mm-hmm. which I was very fond of at the time. Evil or Dalek is a better book than Power. Evil is a very, evil is a very good book. Um, I like Ian Martyr's Ark in Space, actually. Ooh, that is a good call. Yes. I, I, I listened yes. to the audio adaption. That was yeah, fantastic. That's another one I used to Yeah, that was yeah, really, that's, really that's well done. That's a good done. choice, actually. Yeah, it's a yes. really good book, though. Yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah. That's a good choice. All right, we're happy to put Ian Martyr's Ark in Space. Yes, yeah. yes. He was actually quite a good writer. So, yeah. 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 All right, there you go. We have our definitive top five target novels. Dinosaur Invasion. <laughs> Remembrance for the Daleks. Yeah. Dalek Invasion of Earth. Yeah. The Ark in Space. And Fury from the Deep. Hooray! That was a lot easier than I thought it would be. There you go. Yeah. Well, that's been edition number two of the Podcast of Decision. I hope we've had a bit of fun doing that. I've Absolutely. certainly enjoyed it. Thank you. Uh, thank you to you guys for coming along. Oh, it was Absolute a pleasure. Now, where can we find your work, guys? 42 to Doomsday is uh, in a bit of hiatus, but we are planning on some return episodes uh, to get us through the rest of the year. But if you find us on iTunes, I think Stitcher, we're on Spotify now, apparently. We're not making any, any money on it. With the millennials. With the millennials. So we're on Spotify, we have a Twitter account, uh, 42 to Doomsday, we're on Facebook, yeah, and a blog, Underutilized Blog, we're on there. So uh, there's about 70 or 80 episodes if you haven't heard what we've been doing. So um, yeah, check it out. But we'll be back. And Richard, where can we hear you on the internet? Should you wish to. Uh, <laughs> no. Well, as we said at the top, we obviously did the Goodies Pirate Podcast. That's currently also on hiatus. We will be back at some point with that. Dave and I, of course, do uh, Spacefall, a Blake 7 podcast. And we're about halfway through Series 2 at the moment. So yeah, well past halfway of Series 2. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's got at least another year or two to run. Yeah, over 30 more episodes. Yeah. Yes, plus, of course, uh, well, I mean, I turn up on uh, 42 to Doomsday from time to time <laughs> and indeed on the Doctor Who show from time to time. So. And you're all very welcome. So thank you very much for that. I've been Dave. I've been Mark. I'm always Rob. And I'm Richard. And we'll speak again soon. Okay, and that was the podcast of Decision 2. Was that fun, Richard? It was certainly fun reliving it. I'd actually forgotten some of the stuff we talked about, so that was quite good. <laughs> and good to see what was left in the edit as well. Yes, there were a couple of edits to uh, protect the innocent, as they say. So, <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant. And also good to hear the uh, 42 to Doomsday guys back on the air. Yeah, I think they're now uh, very much sort of Christmas specials only, I think. Yeah, at this point in time, although, you know, things can change. True. I do know they've done a couple of uh, special recordings uh, for one-off episodes that I think will drop over the next few months. So um, they're, they're certainly still there in the background. Yeah, no, very, very good. Anyway, to, to round out this episode, we've got a, uh, a lovely email here from our regular listener, Shane Rofe. Shane's written this quite a, a long email here, Richard. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it now. 
Okay. Hello, chaps. I don't think I've written to you fellas since the summertime when we were all still banging on about Jody's first season and the New Year's special. Since then, I sort of got lost following your podcast for a while and have binged a few months worth recently. It started off with a look back at Colin Baker and ended off with Cybermen. Plus, I got to listen to Dave and Richard talking and games, so it's been some great winter listening. Well, how appropriate that you're here to, uh, to answer that, Richard. That's great. I hope the end game discussion was interesting, at least. <laughs> well, it was for me because I didn't go and see the film, so I sort of lived oh, really? vicariously through the podcast. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, really. I've I've only seen, as I famously say, maybe half the Marvel films. I I'm not a huge fan. No. Okay. Have you seen Spider Man? No, not the new one with uh, the the new young chap in it. No, I saw all the Tobey Maguire ones. The third one of those was horrible. Yes. Um, and then Andrew Garfield came along, who I know Dave's quite keen on, but I didn't see mm-hmm. any of those. Uh, this new fella, I think, has got potential, because I saw him in uh, Civil War, and I thought, oh, this Spider-Man's quite fun. Mm. But I haven't seen any of his standalones, no. No, they're a lot of fun, actually. I think they're probably not uh, Ant-Man or Ant-Man and the Wasp fun, but uh, I think they're great movies. Oh, very good. Uh, back to Shane's email. Colin Baker's season 22. I think, based on the comments you've both made, I must be only a few years older than you fellows. I think that's a, a common theme, Richard, for this podcast. I think a lot of us are around the same age. We sort of congregate together with similar views. Um, uh, Shane continues, My first season of Doctor Who as a bona fide fan was Tom Baker's last, so Davo is my Doctor. Good use of Davo there, uh, Shane. Uh, and I was sad to see him bow out only a short time after having started. I think every Doctor should be around at least one season longer than a human companion. I'm looking at you, Jamie, Tegan, and Perry especially. (laughs) When the Sixth Doctor came along, though, I enjoyed him immensely. He has always been high up on my list of favourites. Like Capaldi and Hartnell, I like my Doctors to have a sharp edge to them. Tom did in his first season, taunting Harry constantly, for example. I'm glad to hear in your review of season 22 that there was consideration given to the better points of Colin's portrayal. You should never blame the poor actor for the production values imposed on them. So kudos to Dr. Six, and I'm looking forward to soon owning Trial of a Time Lord on Blu-ray. Wow, there you go. Um, I'll probably start by saying my doctor is actually Tom, because I think I'm probably a couple of years older again, perhaps. But Mm. uh, yeah, I I do... uh, Look, I certainly enjoyed Peter Davison's run on the show. Colin, I have to say, actually, when he first started, was a little tainted for me because we got them so late here and I sort of started buying DWM and, and particularly DWB by that point. I'd sort of had several months where they were just ripping into the show mm. um, and whatever. So I think it was probably a little tainted when the ABC finally got them and I saw them. Yeah, it's interesting that sort of taint. It, ha- it happens in all sorts of fandoms. Even if you have a genuinely open mind, if you're reading that a bunch of people think that someone's rubbish or a story is rubbish or whatever, it, mm. does, it does affect how you watch it. It does. And having said that, look, going back and watching them years later, I really did find a lot to like uh, in season 22. I don't think it's all classic. No. But look, I did enjoy it watching it back. Colin, it's it's very hard because there is so much else going on around Colin Baker that uh, it, it's really very, very hard to be objective about him, I think, at times. Yeah, agree. But having said that, and look, I think this is a, a common point. Uh, look, I think he has really found his niche in the audios. Oh yeah, very much so. He, he he has got a great voice for audio and a great mm. sort of presence in audio. In fact, 
Davo, who I love on TV, I think is probably one of the weaker Doctors on audio, partly because his voice isn't quite what it was, and it, it, it just doesn't feel like Davo at times. You know, he just doesn't have that sort of young breathlessness to his voice anymore. No. Um, whereas Colin Baker sounds almost exactly like he did on television. Yeah, he certainly got that uh, that sort of big, uh, booming sort of resonance in his voice, mm. uh, I think. And I think that carries on. I could really see him on stage. I uh, unfortunately looked at the uh, ultimate adventure never made its way out here, but I really could see him on stage really emoting and reaching the very back row. Oh, hell yes. You know, he's always struck me as... You know, I, I sometimes say panto, and I don't mean that in the in the nasty way people use panto, but in the just that big, booming, fun kind of stage presence, mm. panto. You know, I, I just see him doing that, you know, and I, I believe he has done that many times anyway. Uh, but getting back to Shane's email, on your episode about special effects, if I had my way, I would have every classic story with new special effects. At the time of writing this, I'm watching Dalek Invasion of Earth with special effects on. However, I understand the desire of traditionalists, so I think the option should be to watch as broadcast or with new CGI, unlike the George Lucas draconian approach of imposing only one option on fans. <laughs> well said, Shane. Yes. I have to say I'm, I'm probably a little more of a traditionalist. I do get that there, there is obviously an urge to clean up some of the effects, and I actually think some of the redone ones are really quite good. But... I have to say, one of my bugbears with the DVDs is, uh, particularly in the 60s ones, is the vidfire process. Because I think now the problem is the images are too sharp. Yes. Because, uh, and I use the story like the Aztecs perhaps as, uh, as a reference point. When I saw that on a multi-generation uh, VHS copy sometime in the mid-80s, mm-hmm. um, that looked like a really exciting story. And the sets look really lavish and you know the backdrops and everything look really good and that really continued i think the the original sort of really murky uh, official vhs release that came out but um now that you get this vidfire thing it's really painfully obvious that they're just painted flats um and and unfortunately that does detract a bit and really it's not how the audiences would have experienced it back in the 1960s on those sort of old 405 line tvs so no that's exactly right and the aztecs is a great example of something where they've like painted things you know that are off in the distance and on a blurry vhs wonderful looks great (laughs) yeah it's it's a tough one though isn't it because you want the best quality you want to be seeing the actors up nice and sharp as possible but it, it can really detract uh on the effects and the uh the backdrops and things well it can and i, and I think there, there was also i think that sort of tacit understanding for the people who produced the show that of course that's how you could do it because the viewers at home wouldn't actually you know see see behind the mirror so to speak Hmm. And there was going to be no repeats, so, you know, yeah. <laughs> it screamed once and you were done. Yeah, you know, pretty much. You're, you're home, scot-free. <laughs> Interesting. Anyway, uh, back yeah, to the email. Going. Finally, the Cybermen episode. Like Rob, my favourite villain. Way and back... My, oh, I was going to say, and, and mine too, so... And yours too? Perfect. Way back in the 70s, my first ever memory of this show was Revenge of the Cybermen, and they were striding around these caves shooting bug-eyed people. <laughs> and this crazy man with a long scarf had a bomb strapped to his back, and he got killed by a rockfall, and some bloke was trying to release him from the bomb, and they'd all blow up. 
dot 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 suddenly there's this screaming sound and some spooky music and i hurtle down this infinite claustrophobic tunnel i was petrified and apart from the very occasional and often accidental glimpse of this scary show in the intervening years i never watched a full episode again until part one of the leisure hive right it's a very wow scary start to his doctor who career Interestingly enough, that is actually one of my earlier memories of the show as well. I think my earliest memory is the Wirren falling out of the cupboard at the end of uh, (laughs) the cliffhanger for uh, Ark in Space. But uh, I do remember being very young and watching the Cybermen, uh, sorry, watching the Cybermen uh, stalking around in in Wookiee Hole. So, Mm. yeah, so there you go. I I do, that did make an impression on me as well. Um, Shane continues, by then I was well versed in Doctor Who lore. This is obviously by the time he's watching Leisure Hive with having Jean-Marc Lafissier's brilliant program guides. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not so brilliant these days, but back in the day, they were it. They were. Yeah, that was the only way you sort of could get information, really. So without the internet or DWMs or being part of a fan club or anything to drop any spoilers, uh, I'm again seeing the Doctor, now young and into cricket, with his Aussie companion and Nissa stuck in caves and getting shot at by androids. And suddenly, well, I was eating my tea at the time and nearly fell off my chair. <laughs> Cyberman! <laughs> Those things that had haunted me from my childhood. I was hooked. Have been ever since. Despite living in a time where people don't seem to know how to write for them, I wonder if modern audiences ignorant of Doctor Who's past simply think we've ripped off the Borg. I hope <laughs> not. <laughs> Again, I do remember the cliffhanger to, to part one of Earthshock. And again, oh, is that the Cybermen? Uh, mm. So, yeah, that that was a big moment because I think being young and, and not being in fandom and not having access to anything in the early 80s, it was really a case of, oh, wow, I had no idea. Yeah, I've I've got to say I saw that the first time knowing they were in it but hugely looking forward to seeing it because I knew it was going to be a Cyberman story. So oh, I was really? just as excited as, yeah, uh, it, it had come and, and and gone by the time I saw it the first time. It was uh, on, uh, someone had recorded it off telly and it was well known that that was a Cyberman story, etc., etc. and Adric was going to die, etc., etc. <laughs> you know, so yeah, I, well, I knew all of that going in. Yeah, well, of course, that was the other big revelation, of course, at the end of the story because, uh, again, I had no idea that was going to happen either. Yeah, gosh, that would have been shocking. It was, actually. I mean, look, I know now Adric, obviously, is, you know, is sort of the companion we like to make fun of. but Except time, for Dave. Yes. Well, I, I have to say, I probably was about, I'd have been, what, about 12 or 13, I think, when Earthshock first shown here. And I, I don't ever remember Adric being a companion for me, but mm. I, I certainly do remember being quite shocked when he died at the end. Yeah, and those silent credits, mm. which, you know, people kind of make fun of now, but I think they're really effective actually Mm. yeah anyway uh shane continues to me the cybermen work best when they are held back don't talk and just appear the invasion is a classic eight episode story of which the cybermen only feature in about half of it but what a half and they're just monsters not plotting villains it works okay them talking in Earthshock and 10th planet but in the former we don't see them until the end of episode one and in the latter their dialogue is not so much about great plans it's more moral arguments and statement of facts i think the reason we're back to loving them in capaldi's penultimate story which should have been his last is because again they're not telling us these intricate plans they're just silent monsters right that's there's a couple of things to unpack there i think I will say I do think Tenth Planet is probably one of their most effective stories. I really like Tenth Planet. Mm-hmm. 
and I did also really like the Peter Capaldi, two Peter Capaldi episodes. Yeah. I, I have to say in that they were, they were actually really quite terrifying in that. I, I think the scene that, that probably got me the most is where Bill sees them in the hospital and it's just pain, pain, pain. And the way they deal with it is just to turn the volume down on the voice box. Yeah, but they're still pushing the button. Yeah. Yeah. yeah to me, at the time I said this was reminding me very much of like a world war one hospital mm. where you'd have those guys in the trenches who had had their faces blown off and these injuries where you think my god how did they live and yet they're in hospitals missing all their limbs missing faces and yeah. so on and and they'd be in tremendous pain and on morphine and stuff it, it reminded me very much of that i, I found it incredibly effective and, and horrible yeah that, that's actually a really good analogy but uh, mm. yeah I, I thought that was a really really effective scene um I'm going to be honest and say The Invasion, I think, is a very good story for Tobias Vaughan. I actually think the Cybermen in that probably could have been just about anything. You you could have probably had the Yeti or something in that, I think, and had much the same story. But Yeah, Dave and I talked about that on the episode, and I kind of liked that because there was an electronics kind of theme that the Cybermen kind of fitted mm. better with that maybe than some other monsters or villains might have. Yeah, look, that, that's probably fair. Maybe the Autons or something then, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, if, if they'd been around, around at the then, time, for yep. sure, yeah. All right, so back to Shane's email, and it's rounding out now. He says, by the way, on a very final note, I agree with Rob. Sort of. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, Favourite design, invasion and revenge helmets, but overall costume is the Earthshock ones, much better than the clunky robots of New Who. And what about you, Richard? What Cyberman design do you like best? Well, I have to say, I am very, very fond of the Invasion Revenge-style helmets because for years when I had the Target novels, I uh, used to look at uh, Tomb of the Cybermen with that very nice <laughs> painting. <laughs> and, and, of course, I didn't realise that they, they were a different design. <laughs> yep. Yeah, because we hadn't seen the story. <laughs> no, and, and I have to say, I read that book a lot because I actually think that is one of the better Target books. Yes. Uh, certainly from that era anyway. Um, and, and I read that quite a lot. So, yeah, I do have to say, I do have a very soft spot for the Revenge uh, Invasion helmets. I do very much like the Earthshot costumes. I have to say, though, I, I also have very much a soft spot for the Tenth Planet version. So, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that I've actually got an out-and-out favourite, to be honest. Certainly not the new series ones. No. Uh, I, I, have to, I have to say, though, those sort of, um, yeah, sort of, clunky stamping robots i really didn't like that design at all i just don't understand what they're doing with them you know i, I said this on the cyberman episode as well someone like russell t davis brings them back who who would know cybermen better than anyone mm. and makes and makes them you know marching around in unison and, and very robotic and it's like russell you understand what these things are right <laughs> why why are they doing this i don't mm. get this at all no i do remember being i, I do remember being quite excited because um, during the Dalek episode with Christopher Eccleston where they're down in the bunker and of course the doctor lifts the Cyberman helmet off the um, out of the cabinet and I thought oh great hopefully though you know wouldn't it be great if they did a Cyberman story yes and then of course they did and <laughs> yes yeah yeah let's move on to the final line of Shane's email which is love your podcast as always keep up the good work and brave heart to you both thank you so much Shane that was an awesome email and it was 
good to really dig into here with uh, Richard. That's great. Thanks very much, Shane. Yeah. Okay, uh, final wrap for this episode. Richard, we always like to round out, if we've been watching anything interesting on TV that's not Doctor Who, to quickly mention it. I'll say I've been watching Stranger Things 3. I finished it. It was great. And Nightfall Season 2. Right, and I'm going to say I actually haven't watched either of those. I, uh, I everyone <laughs> have you seen t- the earlier Stranger Things? No, everyone tells me I should watch Stranger Things. Uh, okay. As as a child of the '80s, everyone tells me I would get a lot out of it, but I haven't got around to watching that yet. No, my recent viewing, um, I a couple of uh, quite strange series actually. A series called Barry. Oh, Henry Winkler. Yes, is is one of the supporting cast, which is a show about a hitman who decides he wants to be an actor. <laughs> it's a great premise. <laughs> yes, and hilarity does not always ensue. But <laughs> <laughs> that finished its second season earlier this year, and I think season three is out early next year. It's been on my radar. I've not watched it. No, it, it, it's good. I must be. I really, really enjoyed that. And the other series I've watched, I'm, I'm working my way through series two at the moment, uh, is a series called Happy. Have you encountered that? I've encountered it being mentioned online, but not watched it. Right. It is, I have to say, it is very strange. I've not read the original comic that it's based on, mm-hmm. but uh, the premise is... It's, it starts off actually quite sort of dark. There is a, a little girl basically who is who is abducted uh, and her imaginary friend is a sort of flying blue unicorn called Happy. Uh, and Happy decides that obviously the only thing he can do is go and find somebody to help rescue, uh, rescue this little girl. And the only person he can find who can see him is this sort of washed out, drunk, burned out cop. Um, who who is played by Christopher Maloney from Law and Order SVU I think probably Mm -hmm. he's best known for or the Oz series if uh, if you ever watched that no 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 Um, yes he basically plays a drunkard down and out uh, yeah former cop very bizarre it won't be everybody's cup of tea I think watching the trailer would tell you whether it's something you're going to get into or not right <laughs> um, yeah because some, somebody's actually downright disturbing but <laughs> like when I saw the trailer for The Boys which is a show on uh, Amazon yes and I saw the uh, the character who's obviously based on The Flash uh, run through a guy's girlfriend and she explodes yes. as he runs through her at high speed <laughs> yes and, and he's left holding her hand and I thought, okay, that's the kind of show that is. Very black humour. Uh, very black humour. That is also on my radar to watch. I have read the original comics for those. They're by Garth Ennis, mm-hmm. who does uh, specialise, I think, in slightly uh, disturbing stories. Indeed, like Preacher and things <laughs> yes, like that. Yes, yeah. and he did quite a famous run. Uh, if you've ever, if you're a fan of The Punisher, he did quite a famous run on The Punisher comic for Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh, as well, which uh, yeah certainly ramped up the violence. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that that all sounds like good stuff. There, there are definitely some shows I want to watch. I'll just finish by saying Nightfall season two hasn't uh, let me down. It's been very good. That's basically Knights Templar uh, pissing off uh, French nobility, oh, and yes. uh, and obviously we all know how it ends for the the, <laughs> the Knights Templar in France. Um, but so far they're all still alive and kicking. And the second season has marked. Hamill as a senior sort of member of the the Templars. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah. The only odd thing about it, though, is he uses his Joker voice from the Batman cartoons. So, right. he, he, 
I think it's the only way he can do a British accent. Oh, uh, he sort of lapses into Joker uh, territory. It's it's kind of strange, but the story itself is great fun, and you know, it's guys on horses and swords and things. It's 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 great. Yeah, that uh, that actually sounds like something I could probably get right into. So. Mm. Yeah, well, uh, SBS On Demand has the second season, four episodes up so far. You might have to hunt around for the first season, though. They haven't got that up at the moment. Uh, anyway, uh, we didn't say this at the start of the show, but I'll mention it now. If if you out there have uh, any thoughts you'd like to write into us with, uh, hello at the dwshow.net or on Twitter at the DW Show or on Facebook. And we'd certainly also like your comments and uh, reviews on uh, Apple Podcasts if you're so kind, and we'll uh, read you out on the show if you make those. That wraps things up here, Rich, and I think this has been quite a fun episode. I've had a lot of fun doing this. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. We we sit here late at night and just, you know, shoot the breeze, and it becomes a podcast, like magic. Exactly. <laughs> Hopefully it's not too hard to edit. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, look, thank you so much for filling in for Dave. And Dave, hope you enjoy uh, listening to what we've uh, created in your absence. <laughs> and, and and welcome back, because I think uh, he'll probably be back in the country by the time this drops. So Yeah, that's right. I think these few days in London he's experiencing at the moment is the, uh, the tail end of his trip. Mm-hmm. And of course, you'll hear uh, us back on the air in a month's time. Uh, we haven't decided on a topic yet. I'm going to wait for Dave to, to land before we do that. We've got some good ones up our sleeve, though. I know that much. So until then, I've been Rob. I've been Richard. And we'll see you next time on The Doctor Who Show. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash thedwshow is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights of the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who.